You're fucking mad. What? You know, mad, crazy, fucking head. What do you have to get so angry for? What angry? Angry, angry. Why? Why? Because I like it. I like being angry, that's why. I enjoy it. Why'd you get a hobby? Is me hobby. Hello, listening people. Hello. Oh, oh, hello there. People, you're listening to Spin Polish Presents. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Slawinski. And I'm Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you going? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Yeah, I'm feeling good. And I'm, I'm, I'm just here. Slow down, slow down. Slow down, slow down. I'm just here for some fun, Bartek. I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm just here for a bit of fun. Right, idiot. Go on. All right. Thank you, Box. <laughs> so uh, we're here being spitting and Polish. That is why we're called Spit and Polish. And we're talking about a movie. It comes recommended because in our show, Pictures Powwow, we talk about films that somebody recommends. The cycle goes Bartek, then myself, and then you, the listening people. That's right. You people out there can recommend a movie. <laughs> you fucking dogs. <laughs> you dogs. Oh, <laughs> you no, can no. recommend, or, or, or spunks. You can recommend a movie. But today's recommendation is from me. We are talking about a film from 1996 called Idiot Box, but we are not alone for this one, Bartek. We got some of our brothers from the policing fraternity to join us for this episode. Some yuppie bastards from the United <laughs> States to come over and talk to us about an Australian film. Bloody oath. Bloody oath. Yeah, yeah. We've talked. We've been on their podcast and talked about American films, classics. They've been on ours and we talk about American films. So we've got to, you know, we've got to represent ourselves by dragging the contrarians, Alex and Julio, onto the podcast to talk to us about Idiot Box. Guys, how are you doing? Hey, hey. How's it going? Doing well. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Hello. Thank you for having us back. Welcome, welcome. It's great to have you both back. So, Alex and Julio, tell us a bit about yourselves and what you guys do on your podcast. Uh, well, I mean, we've been here a couple of times now, so so hopefully your audience is already familiar with us, and they probably listen to your guest spots on our show. But what we do on the Contrarians is uh, we take a movie that's either fresh or rotten on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, and we argue against that score. So, uh, just recently. Uh, Per Ryan's request slash demand, we uh we cover Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and uh, that's a fresh movie. So we spent the first half of the show talking about it as if it was a rotten movie, a bad movie. And then on the second half of the show, we tell you how we really feel. And how we really felt was that uh, we liked it a lot. So mm-hmm. so we finally found an Australian movie that we like, Alex. We did. Um, but yeah, to follow up on your point, Julio, our podcast is uh, comprised of two parts. Uh, the first half, uh, a lot of times, a uh, more satirical uh, take on the uh, critics that you find that will be over the top or overly cynical. Uh, mm. We rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine as our battle cry to prove that the Rotten Tomatoes scores don't always tell the whole story. And then uh, we always make sure to explain how we actually feel about the films that we cover, which Sometimes, you know, Julio and I disagree, and it, it gets fun when we get into arguments about movies. Yeah, I mean, also fairly recently, you guys changed up your format a bit, where at one time your episodes were like just one big episode where you'd have your first half as contrarians and the second half as real talk, but now you have it on your feed where you've broken those up into individual like episodes uploaded, so you can just listen to your contrarian corner or just go to the next episode, which is your real talk 
And um, that's been an interesting shift up too, because yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, I guess. I wonder what this will do for the metrics when they find out who literally listens to Real Talk and who really listens to Contrarian's Corner. I'm in it for PP, Pictures Pow Wow, our show, um, which was nicknamed PP far before you guys named uh, your what, uh, your patron pitch. So whatever. But, uh Let's get into it, people. Uh, for those listening, if you have not seen this film, Idiot Vox, we recommend that you do. Uh, it is going to be talked about in spoilers and details and stuff of that nature. If you have any interest in Australian cinema or the works of uh, some actors such as Ben Mendelsohn, go watch this film. It's available in a few different locations, so you have been told. So, I recommended this. Uh, I wanted our guests on here because they've had a rough time finding Australian movies that have been good or competent or whatever the complaints are, and we'll hear from that from them in a moment. But uh, my history to go over this is I grew up with this movie. I had it on uh, videotape, the official VHS for Idiot Box, and uh, we would watch it all the time. My parents were from the western suburbs of Sydney when they grew up. And so we would visit the grandparents back in the in those suburbs. So I'm very also I'm also very familiar with the type of characters that inhabit this movie, the actual locations in the movie, because these are real suburbs, real places there, and so and the music and all this stuff. So I have a very uh firm connection with this because of just real life experiences outside of just I've watched the movie a bunch and even now living in Melbourne down here in, in 2020s time, there's still some obvious Australianisms and some certain uh, trope stuff and genre stuff that still attracts me to this film. So I recommend it. I pitched it. We've done a few Australian movies on this podcast before, Bartek. I often bring up Idiot Box as like my go-to example of mm-hmm. like... Yep. This works and this does. Like, I always use it as a contrasting point. Like, when we did Two Hands, one of my major complaints about Two Hands was I found Heath Ledger to be too conventionally attractive for the type of character he's playing, and his character would be uncharacteristically idiotic for the plot to happen. And I would often bring up, well, we've got Idiot Box, where they have two guys who are fairly okay looking, but they're like real Australian dudes who would realistically fall into dumb shits like they do in this movie and they like realistic like they like oh, the idiocy was more coherent and so i've brought it up over the years what's your background with idiot box um so it does link in with the existence of mr ryan slewinski um <clears throat> a couple of years ago uh ryan held an australia day night so in australia we celebrate australia day on january 26th um, some people don't call it Australia Day. It's a very fact. contentious thing. There's yes. a lot of let's just say colonialism is bad. Let's just say the other people call it Invasion <laughs> Day. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's just say the indigenous people call it, uh, many people call it well, Invasion. The, the Day. protesters are mm-hmm. the main ones that I hear. But yes, yes. Um, but yeah, Ryan he he hosted a little Australia Day night, and we watched a bunch of you know old Australian media like ads. Mm. segments of a tv show sketches uh, sketches an episode of double the fist mm-hmm, which uh, we covered on this show yeah i probably talked about this night on that episode mm. um and one of the things that we watched that wasn't just on youtube was uh this movie because you had it on dvd i believe yes yep 
Uh, Ryan wanted to show us Idiot Box because, well, we're celebrating Australian culture and Ryan thought, hey, Idiot Box is emblematic of Australian culture. I thought so. And yeah. we seemed to enjoy it at the time. We I watched did. it with a friend of ours who's been on the podcast, Reese. He's a big film guy and he likes Australian movies as well. And uh, I think another thing to mention is... I'm a huge Ben Mendelsohn fan, primarily because of this movie. I've followed his career pretty well over the years, and uh, we've covered some Ben Mendelsohn projects on the podcast, and so any chance I can get to just throw in another Ben Mendelsohn thing at you is also a given. But you've also thrown some at me. We've done Una on this yeah, podcast, Una. which is a movie that you had seen, I had not. And so that was also another factor into throwing it in there of like, oh, I want Bartek to see more Ben Mendelsohn. So here we go. So that's kind of my go around with this. Yeah. So and, uh, and in terms of like, you know, this, the characters and the type of subculture that's present in the film... I'm obviously not as familiar with it as Ryan is from personal experience, but I am familiar with it in, you know, various forms of media, like the works of Paul Fennick. Yes. Um, even like the videos of Friendly Geordies on YouTube. Yeah. Just, it's, it's... There's actors from this that are in some of those projects. Yeah. It's, when you, when you live in Australia, you tend to get an idea of the, we call it the Bogan characters. I yes. Yeah. Well, and these ones are less Bogan and more yeah. Westies is what they're called because they're from the Western suburbs, which are their own... Sub, you know, culture. I guess the way. specifics of like Sydney culture, like mm-hmm. I'm maybe not as familiar with. So, but like in yeah. any city, there's always like that. Uh, the the Frankston. The, yeah, there's always yeah. the the this area is the more scummy area. This area is the more uh, disenfranchised. This one's the one that's getting gentrified. For instance, like there's always those t- type of things in lots of cities, especially here in Australia, such as like in Sydney, there's the the suburb of Redfern, which at one point was a very contentious area, had infamous riots, and now it's one of those places where it's like people are upset because it's been gentrified and all of that. So there's like that type of thing goes on in a lot of cityscapes, which we actually see in Idiot Box. We see in the physical location things are happening like that, like the suburb that they live in is very barren. There's like no trees because it's like a new suburb being built. Yeah, when I was reading so, up stuff about the film, I was getting into that, but let's we'll not get, get ahead of we'll ourselves. Get, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Julio, what about you? Talk to us about uh, your relationship with this movie and in part uh, Australian stuff. Uh, well, I mean, this is a... Uh, what... I want to say like the fourth Australian movie that we've watched. Alex and I are going to uh, kind of in a fairly uh, short amount of time. I want to say we just did Priscilla um, a few months ago. We did uh, uh, Getting Square, which was, I think, the, the thing that started this whole controversy about us not getting Australian cinema. <laughs> and then uh, we watched this horror movie, Undead. Mm. Uh, which is obviously very different from what we're looking at here. But actually watching this, like I, I had echoes of getting square in the sense of like yeah. feeling Dead Alive the, also. Well that's New Zealand, oh, excuse me. Dead, dead Alive is New yeah, Zealand. Please, yeah. please don't do that. <laughs> please don't uh, do that. <laughs> but yeah, there's a uh I think that I'm becoming more aware or or more uh I don't know, I guess more aware of just the how much mm. Well, just the fact that, you know, there is uh so there's the movie. As like as constructed and like you know the plot and the dialogue and all the stuff and then there is just the I guess cultural identity that comes with the movie mm-hmm. which you know was something that we clearly had uh, uh, necessarily issues with on getting square but it was it was, it was def- definitely something that we were not getting that all Australian mm. friends were getting you, know, you infamously like the, the said that- you infamously said we have crime movies what's the point of watching Australians do crime movies. 
Okay, we didn't say it with those words. <laughs> you did. You literally said, we have these. What's the point of watching this? Okay, That's we what might your complaint was. That's why it was a controversy, because it's like, oh, thanks. I guess we aren't allowed to do crime stuff either, because we also use same cliches and tropes as you do, but also we have different vernacular, so what's the point? I'm going to go pray to Nick well, no, Kelly right I, I now. I guess what I would say... Hey, what I would hey, say hey, is hey, if you're going to give a shit, then you also need to call it the fact that I said Scorsese stole a scene from that movie for The Departed. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, Scorsese really sat there and went, I love this Timothy Spall movie with Sam Worthington. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do I'm gonna heist this. Cinemas, nobody dead. will notice. <laughs> no, I think that uh, it, there is. You, know, I think that uh, I compare it actually because I'm, I'm from Peru, so I compare it to like if you're Peruvian and you watch a Peruvian movie, like let's say a heist Peruvian movie that has very clear like references, inspiration, like say from Guy Ritchie, you know, you don't care that it's like borrowing stuff from Guy Ritchie, you just go like, man, this is awesome. Like, Peru made a mm. movie that is like, you know, there's like the Peruvian Guy Ritchie. Uh, but if you're, let's say, Guy Ritchie, you're like, well, that's my shit. And, and so I, I think that the, there there has, I don't think that you can understate the fact that when you uh, when you're from the country that's making the movie, you might get like an extra attachment to the, an extra connection to the, to the film. And that's not a bad thing. I think that that is just something that it's missing if you're not uh, from that country. So, when I watched uh, Getting Square, I'm like, okay, I get it, but I was missing that connection. And watching now Idiot Box, I, I was like, now I was I was more on guard and thinking, okay, there's a lot of stuff here that seems to me like it's not necessarily moving the story forward or, or doing like a whole lot for me on a just basic filmmaking level. But I was thinking, but there's probably a lot of like cultural stuff that's kind of going over my head just because, you know, I'm not Australian. I'm not familiar with the, with Australian culture other than whatever I picked up from like podcasts and movies. And, uh, that was, that was kind of like my first, you know, uh, reaction. That doesn't, I mean, I'm not going to tell you yet if I like the movie or not. So but is I was, this your way of saying you haven't seen it in your box before? Oh, I haven't seen the box what? before. No, I've heard you talk about it before, and yeah. I'm familiar with Ben Mendelsohn. I mean, he's a he's a scroll. Mm. How can you not know him now? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. He's a scroll. Don't you mean that he's the guy from Ready Player One? Thank you. Jeez, God, Steven no. Spielberg film. <laughs> let's let's ignore that part of it. No, 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 no. Let's emphasize that part for four hours. Let's go on. Um. So, what about you, Alex? What's been your relationship with Idiot Box and Australian cinema and your kind of side of it? Your side of the story, Alex. <laughs> well, first to call off the New Zealand thing, I did that on purpose because the last time we recorded with y'all, I joked with Ryan beforehand about confusing the <laughs> two as an American would. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with Idiot Box has is, is been a short one. Uh, it's been a, it's going on in about three hours now. Uh, I watched it before we hopped on here. Uh, I do like Ben Mendelsohn, The Land of Steady Habits. Uh, I was yes. talking to Bar- Bartek about... Uh, that was one that uh, I watched for our podcast as well. It's okay, but he's really good in it. Um, obviously, Rogue One mm-hmm. and uh, Dark Knight Rises, you know, the bigger things he was involved in. According to this page I'm looking at, he was in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, he's a uh, so. scroll creature mm-hmm. thing. Oh, that's that's the joke that Julio made. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We'll get to to that stuff. But so yeah, you're saying like you didn't know much about this, but you know Ben Mendelsohn. Like he's crossed over. Like oh. he's he was in like Animal Kingdom was a big movie that helped cross him over. That was an Australian success that got like Oscar nominations. Like uh, for instance, Jackie Weaver, who's also an actress that has, that has crossed over into American stuff. Like she was always like 
Jackie Weaver, well-known Australian actress, and then she did Animal Kingdom and got an Oscar nomination. And like for us, it was like about fucking time. Jackie Weaver's been great the whole fucking time. And now she's in American movies like all the time. I'm like, hey, Jackie Weaver's in this movie. And that's the same with Ben Mendelsohn. And then, yeah, like all of these projects. Let's not forget he was in the Joel Schumacher film that we covered on this podcast, Trespass, starring Nicolas Cage. Right, that was Joel Schumacher. Um, in which Ben Mendelsohn outcrazies Nicolas Cage very easily in that movie. So <laughs> worth watching for that film. But what's been your um, kind of dynamic with uh, Australian stuff? It's definitely something I've learned about through the process of, uh, you know, befriending other members of the podcast community like yourselves and also the requests that have come in for our show. Uh, it's, you know, it's, I guess the egotism of Americans and whatnot. But I always think of like, oh yeah, of course there's like, you know, Asian cinema and, you know, different types of cinema throughout Europe. Mm, But then I always have, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I always, when it comes to countries that speak the same language as, you know, like English, I just assume it's all the same shit. So I, you know, (laughs) it's been a eye opening to learn that there are different approaches to it and different beats and like pop culture sensibilities. Yeah. Sensibilities and obviously a big one is the, you know, slang jargon, whatever you want to, yeah. whatever term you want to use the, you know, the local vernacular. Um, mm. With this one though, I, you know, there were the Australian isms about it, but it also looked like, I like a movie made in 1996. No matter where it was in the mm-hmm. world, just some of like yes. the the transitional shots and things that were used there. I was just like, oh, this is you know MTV generation type movie right here. Yeah, so and, and that works because uh, the movie's about the television generation that's like a part of the aesthetic too is like the movie is about people who watch tv and so that kind of mtv like flashy you even have a scene of a guy going like oh just the box in the corner of the room you can get everything yeah <laughs> yeah so you get that stuff i think um to not dwell too much and get into idiot box itself i think one of the things that i find interesting about you say american egotism i think one of the things that's interesting for me is as an Australian, American movies and English movies, like British movies, are like a given. It's like as a given. So it's like, do I know the life that's happening in train spotting? No, it's very Scottish centric, but I just have to take that on the chin and accept it because that's how I am as a viewer. So, like, I love Fargo. Fargo's not my world. I have no clue what's happening. And, like, I just have to take it because that's in a movie that's being presented to me. So, like, that's what I think is. One of the things I would suggest with you guys with some international movies, like with Australian movies, instead of being like, you know, how does this relate to my movies? It's like, I just have to take a American movies. Like, like, do I give a fuck about anything Richard Linklater is talking about in his movies? None of that relates to me as an Australian. But if I want to enjoy a Hollywood movie or an American movie, I just have to accept the it on face value in some way and try to relate it to my own cultural and personal experiences and i think you agree with that right bartek i mean we watch so many american movies that are like heralded and then when we actually think about it, it's like this has nothing to relate to me as an australian like like i love coen brothers movies but it's like I don't, I don't know what Coen Brothers movies mean to Texas when they have their Texas movies. Like, I don't know what any of that actually means to me personally, but I have to accept it if I want to enjoy movies, especially American ones where it's like American-centric. And sometimes on this podcast, say Julio introduced a movie to us, War Machine. One of my complaints was, and it's very hard to describe, is it's too American. Yet that's made by an Australian, that movie. So it was like even more confusing. So sometimes there are those barriers where it's like um, movies can be too 
much of that country and it's like how do you actually describe that and so i guess since i've seen like so few australian films just the, the whole concept kind of you know escapes me because i'm not used to because you've been conditioned with what american films are in lots of and ways. that's a pretty big thing for uh, you know people in australia as well because most of the things we do consume are american yeah so it's just a given that like oh well yeah it's not our country yeah and they're all technically foreign films yeah that's exactly what i'm getting at of like american values in movies are not our values but we accept them because those are the mainstream movies like do i give a fuck about wolf of wall street and his values in that movie and like how it relates to the american dream of course i don't as an australian i don't give a shit about that but, it, you know, but now i'm that you watching know- it because it's like Literally, any Scorsese movie you could argue is an irrelevant thing to Australians because what does it matter to us? These are like Italian American made movies. Who cares about mean streets? I guess but they're the- good movies, and I have to process this thing of like, these are the accepted movie standards because again, America is number one, ya, ya, ya kind of deal, rah, rah, rah. And it's like, but then on the opposite end for you guys, you look at Australian movies and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they're doing their funny little version of our things. Ha, ha, ha. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like, I think that's the thing I would say is like, there's that level of like, think of it in the other people's shoes where we just have to accept your values and your ideals represented in your media. I will say that on the on the other foot of that, though, is, um, you know, because I'm so conditioned by American media, things like that. It became a really weird thing when we started podcasting with, you know, the contrarians and chats, you know, American guys, and I'm actually talking to them. I'm like, oh, I'm actually talking to real American people. Now, this, yeah. is, a, this is a lot different from just watching the movies and stuff. So yeah, sometimes. Even I'm having a culture shock with, you know, the normalized culture. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I would go about things. I don't know if there's any comments you guys want to bounce off of that at all. Well, I don't know that... Uh- because, see, I think it would be easier if the disconnect was when it came to values and all that stuff. Because then I could just say, oh, well, it's very clearly like a different culture. And that actually makes it easier, I think, the process. I think that the, it's more of a problem of, like, who got there first. And I'm not saying, like, historically, but just, like, on a personal experience, right? So if I watched a bunch of crime movies that were, like, American and, you know, British or whatever, and I got, unfortunately, I got to the Australian cinema crime movie genre after already consumed all that then it's kind of hard to look at it and go like and appreciate it as you know freshly like i really have to like really get in the mindset of going like okay well but when they made this uh you know it was it was newer or it was fresher you know that's something that we had with uh a problem that we had with getting square was just that it was it just felt like another crime movie and after you've watched 20 30 40 50 crime movies you know it it wasn't even that it was like from australia it could have been from you know any other country i would have just said okay but it's kind of you know we've seen this before and our friends from australia you know the the big defense was well yeah but when you're from australia it actually hits you harder which i get you know like again Mm -hmm. going back to the the example from peru like you know i've seen what 100 superhero movies now but if I saw a superhero movie made in Peru, like, regardless of, you know, even if it fits, you know, every beat of the standard superhero movie, I'll be like, well, this is special because, you know, I have a kind of like an unspoken connection with where it's coming from and the surroundings. And I recognize the cities and the actors and, yeah. you know, the, the vernacular. So I think that that is something that it's uh, – uh, I was trying to be a little more conscious of it while watching Idiot Box uh, where I was like, okay, well, I can probably – draw parallels between this type of movie and 
other movies that I've seen around that era. Uh, but I was also trying to look at it as like, okay, but if you're in Australia, you know, like mm. this probably seems very familiar as far as, you know, the environment. That yeah, that's uh, true. That's 100% true. In. And I think there is a truth in all of that. And then here's the thing too. Like I say, Fargo, for instance, I just have to accept like, that's the type of humor and the type of people that live in that part of America and they speak like that. And like, I, I appreciate what could be conventionally a normal, again, stock standard crime movie. Fargo is a perfect film, by the way. I don't want to use that. I don't want anyone to, we've done a whole episode on Fargo. We love Fargo, but like a part of the appeal of Fargo is taking your usual crime story that you've seen and twisting it with a fun culture that you don't see in a lot of those movies and characters you don't see in a lot of those movies. And that's what I think we do with... like That's part of what I think is what Australian movies can offer. And it's not just I as an Australian can look at these characters, but it's like when you watch Gitten Square, for instance, the character of Spitz that's played by... uh, um, um, forget David Wenham isn't the you like isn't always the standard usual character that you would get in your crime movies and same with some of the characters here like Ben Mendelsohn obviously you've seen that type of character before but then all there's there's that Australian flavor to his character that you don't get in other movies just like in Fargo where you could argue William H Macy's character the nervous Nelly guy who's gotten into his over over his head and now he keeps making it worse and worse I've seen that character in basically every crime movie but the fact that he is this person from this specific location with that accent and that kind of nervous energy and that culture that he's from makes it unique and different wouldn't you what what would you say about that Bartek I mean what's your thoughts on that you're giving me eyebrow raises no 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 I'm I'm still waking up that's what's happening there Bartek's Bartek's waking the fuck up oh Ryan talking about all this stuff I know oh yum yum no for certain for certain for, for for shizzle I mean sorry um, mm. I agree with that. Yes, um, getting uh, y- usually, you know, your setting and your characters might reflect each other, and, and mm. certainly when it's done well, it's it's an experience. I remember in the Fargo episode, um, you mentioned, I think you said verbatim, like a that accent is almost like a character on its own, and it's just mm. a really fascinating concept that, like, you know, an element that. Of, of characterization can, you know, reflect the setting as well. Yeah, I think a lot of the humor and, 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 and charm of Fargo, for instance, does come from them speaking like that. It's not the dialogue itself sometimes, it is just their accent. And I think that can apply to even our own media, even for us local Australians. Like, seeing Ben Mendelsohn with a shirt that says, get a dog up ya, and him just sitting at a mall saying, dog, 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 dog. I'm like, yeah, okay, like... <laughs> a piece of shit <laughs> like, and calling him a spunk and all of that it's like okay you 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 don't need to know the vernacular there necessarily to understand what he's doing you go okay he's looking at chicks and saying which ones are hot and which ones aren't that's the type of thing there but let's dive into idiot box let's go into the world of the film uh what did you guys think of it and what do you think of i guess you know just what do you think of it the premise of it the characters the presentation all of that just talk to us about what you what your experience was with this Alex you go first cuz I, I just talked You did and i was going to say also uh this is easily just putting a like an end a bookend on what we we're just talking about of the you know the movies we mentioned this is easily the least it felt like a foreign film type thing. It felt like a different country to me. This was very accessible. In fact, I thought there was a lot of um, 
uh, you know, spring breakers before spring breakers mm-hmm. type thing in this movie. I, I got a lot of that from it as well. And it feels like a pretty universal story. Um, but yeah, the movie itself, um, you get David Wenham in this as well. So is he in every Australian film? No. <laughs> okay. No, he's he's in a lot though. I love David Wenham. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh we talked about that in Getting Square. But anyway, this one, uh, you know, it's the kind of you know um life is squandered on the youth type thing. It's just about these idiots that, you know, just kind of are uh if they could have, they would have existed like in the punk rock days of the seventies, but they just constantly drinking their 40s and watching tv and arguing and pretending about or just talking shit about all this these things they're never going to actually do uh ben Mendelssohn looked a lot younger than 27 i was kind of mm-hmm. surprised to find out that's how old he was in this but um it's a pretty simple story uh it, i do also appreciate it's one of those movies where there's these different you will smash cut to this different story and have no fucking idea why you're there. Uh, <laughs> and then it eventually, you know, ties it all together. And so for a movie that's an hour and 20 minutes, I thought it packed in a hell of a lot. Um, and it was one of those that uh, I found myself for the last 20 minutes, just kind of, I was like folding laundry. And then I found myself just standing, staring at the TV, like, okay, where, where is this going to go? Uh, and uh, it just kind of builds and builds and builds and the crescendo kind of pays it all off. Um, and also I was a huge fan of getting to see Ben Mendelsohn playing Virtua Cop in the arcade. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's, that's a game I still play to this day on my Sega Dreamcast. So I, I was uh, all in favor of that. But it's um, it's short, but it's like a fucking bullet train. Like it gets you where you need to go. And it's very it for me, at least. I didn't think it was like perfect by any means, but it definitely like caught me for the runtime that it had. Yeah, I think one of the things that can catch people off too is you're thinking it's going to be more of a like crime movie, like they're going to do the heist and they're planning the heist. Well, to me, it's also it's just like a slice of life hangout film as well, where it's like you're just spending time with these guys and eventually they'll get to the heist stuff yeah. at the end. <laughs> like this was my second time watching the film and it, it had been a couple of years since that first time, so I couldn't remember exactly what happened. I'm like... I remember there are scenes where they're hanging out, but don't they also like rob a bank? How does yeah. that all link? And really, like the, the <laughs> film is like almost fifty percent both. The, well, I mean, planning for the robbery, but yeah. like there was a lot of just those two things, really. And, and the planning ties into them just hanging out. Like the scene where, like the the montage of them practicing robbing the bank is just like two dudes goofing around. <laughs> like he's he's a to- he gives him a toilet brush and he's like this is a gun no it isn't yes it is okay bang 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 <laughs> he's just ben mendelson half-heartedly using it as a gun it's like that's yeah it's them planning the heist but really it's just them hanging out it's just them like being like friends just just joshing around and being silly but uh julio what about you um i just heard alex say that this was uh, the most accessible out of all the ones we've watched so far and uh I, i'm just gonna put the adam sandler gif of like i disagree because i think priscilla was more like universally accessible um just to relate it to something else that you uh made us watch ryan but i i did like it but i i think that so i watched it one and a half times like i watched it all the way through and then i actually went back and watched the first 30 minutes again because those 30 minutes were the hardest for me to get into mm-hmm. i was i was having a hard time uh and this is this has a lot to do with me. I think that I am uh, many times I'm a lot more plot oriented than Alex is. Um, a while ago, he uh, 
he suggested I watch this movie, uh, Smithereens. And, uh, it is Great very movie. like, it, it, Alex thinks so, yes. Uh, <laughs> vibe wise. I mean, it's... in the very first scene of Idiot Box, they lay out the exact plot and they then f- do the exact fucking five things you shouldn't do. Like, they yes, lay it out. Which I appreciated up. when I rewatched it. I was like, that's pretty clever. But, uh, but this movie, much like Smithereens, you know, it kind of, you know, it meanders a lot, and it's that's that's fine because that's like a that's an approach to telling a story. You know, we're mm. like, okay, well, this is the goalpost, and we're gonna take like the scenic route to get to it. And uh, I was, I don't know, there is a lot of like, like you said, just hanging out with these guys, and I wasn't finding them particularly. Uh, I wouldn't say entertaining, but it's more like I, I was like, okay, but why do I care? You know, and that was like the the thing. I kind of uh, rewatching that those first thirty minutes, I was able to appreciate just how much of the of the uh, puzzle pieces are being set up. Uh, you know, like the the woman that's an addict, and the the uh, you know the how they set up everything perfectly so that towards the end, you know, we get to that climatic scene exactly the way it needs to happen mm. uh, and all that. But uh, I think that it was kind of like the lack of you know, there's a lot of like running in place from these guys because that's that's the whole point. Like that's the characters they are. You know, they're just like slackers. And they're, they're in purgatory, really... basically. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're stagnant people, and that's like the conflict is Ben Mendelsohn doesn't want to change. Jeremy Sims yeah, but does want to like, change. Like as far as as far as conflict goes, like that's pretty static. I mean, you know, it, it which I it's it's fine. Like I understand that's the point that he's making, and I'm glad that the movie is like 80 minutes only because I don't know that I would have like hung out with him much longer, but. Uh, I think that that combined with the fact that I don't, I'm not like a big fan of the aesthetic of, you know, the 90s, uh, the MTV approach of like, okay, we're going to just like keep cutting. And every time we cut, we're going to change the song. And we're mm. like, I, I prefer, <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the transitions that made sense versus the transitions that are like, what is this? Are we just, it's changing the shots at the wall. It's changing the channel. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's like I understand it, but as mm, far as you like, don't like me you watching don't like the movie, it, even though you understand it, you don't like that. And I, I, a hundred percent, I agree with that sentiment. There are movies that I like intellectually. Go, oh yeah, I understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's not my aesthetic. Yeah, so not, it's not my uh, momentum. Know, it's not. It's not my tempo. It's not. not yeah. My so I, I, I can appreciate what the director, what the filmmaker is, is doing. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. You know, you set out to make this, this movie and tell this story in this very specific way, and. uh that's just basically, you know, it's going to work for some people. It's going to work for, and it's not going to work so well for others. Uh, once the story actually like picks up and I started getting a better handle on the characters and, uh, you know, basically once the movie kind of like slowed down to let me get to know them a little bit better, uh, you know, there's a scene with uh, uh, not Mendelssohn, but the other guy, you know, Mick, when he's like at top of the bridge watching the cars pass and he's talking to the girl and uh, he actually like just verbalizes a little more, you know, that he just, you know, he just wants to get out. He wants to be happy. He wants to get out. And yeah. if it's so easy as like, you know, deciding that you want to be happy and all that. Uh, in the the whole scene with Mendelssohn trying to sell the TV. <laughs> well, no, actually, Mendelssohn trying to give his mom the TV. And then, you know, the frustration at her not wanting it. And, and then him, him selling you know, it off a- at the pub and nobody wants it from him. Exactly. Obviously deranged. I love it's- it. Has The TV is one of my favorite jokes in the movie. I just want to say one of my favorite visual gags ever in a movie is Idiot Box's thing where she sells the TV. Then you hard cut to him, the boyfriend, who we find out is the, the criminal that's robbing the banks, standing there with the remote. 
she he, he she left the remote. <laughs> and I just love the visual of this guy standing there going, it costs five hundred dollars, and he's he's holding the remote still. I just love the idea of thinking about how annoying that would be of getting it. Not only is it like you've left him with the remote, but then you sold a person the TV and it has no remote to it. That's like, it's just all these little layers of like visual, like that's a visual thing. They never mention it. They're just holding the remote. Like that's all he has left of his TV. It amuses me. But uh, as you are saying, Julio, about, uh, you know, getting to know the characters more, you were kind of brought in with it. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think that you know, giving that guy, uh, giving Mick the relationship with the, with the girl from the from the store, you know, that kind of helps a little bit because at least she's different. You know, she's. It adds to the. I think their dynamic kind of like sheds light on a, on a different side of his character, just like. Uh, uh, what's uh, Mendelssohn's name? Kev. Kev. Right. Kev. Kev. Yeah, Kev's. Yeah, Kev's dynamic with his mother kind of like you know shows him in a different light and. Uh, and just kind of, you know, there's there's a, a joy at seeing everything come together in those last like, I don't know, twenty, thirty minutes mm. that I really I really got into. Um you know, they all the payoffs. Uh, yeah, all the payoffs and also just kind of the the I mean, I did not see it coming, even though I, I think I should have, you know, that the 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 real Robert The falling down show. ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh the, no, no, the, no the the oh no the that I saw that guy as soon as he walked out I'm like oh yeah he's he's gonna suicide by cop for sure is he uh, dead yet yeah <laughs> yeah so so the movie kind of like you know it it got me back like so much at the end that like I said it it inspired me to rewatch the first thirty minutes or so just so that I could really you know give it its due and and I think that that's you know it doesn't happen with every movie but this is one where I felt for me it was. Uh, uh, just knowing where everything was headed, it made it a little more enjoyable watching again from the beginning. And it is an interesting point to bring up. Bartek and I also have a similar kind of uh, dynamic in little ways here and there where I'm far more engaged and okay with movies that don't really have to focus on plot machinations and buildups. And I like kind of more atmospheric, wandering, meandering character hangout movies. And not saying that you aren't into that, Bartek, but I think out of the two of us, I'm far more accepting with, of that. And with you me, like a bit more of like, I want to know what the stakes are. I want to know what the plot is so then I with, can enjoy that. With me, it mostly falls into... Uh, I'm not really sure how to do it in a podcasting format, like mm. to d- discuss it. I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's a slice of life thing. Like, I enjoy them a lot, but you know, how, how do I talk about it on the podcast? I'm still getting yeah. kind of used to that. Like, I recommended a silent voice, and even I was like, uh, yeah, but yeah. I I feel like I don't have as much of a problem talking about that because, like, no, I feel you like you definitely I could, don't. I feel like I could talk about Kevin <laughs> Mick's dynamic for hours, like. The poems, we haven't even talked about those. Those are like great. Those are like whole things that endear you to characters and like gives you an insight into his psyche. I was going like to say all the, of that kind of stuff. For this one, I don't feel like I'm going to struggle as much no. because the dynamic really is a huge thing. And even dynamics with like other characters, like mm. Coolio even mentioned it just then. Like, this is the Mick and Kev film, but then you see uh, Mick especially interact with so many other characters. He's mm. putting on different, you know, masks. Yeah, and embracing his animal side with more with other people, like the 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 drug dealing guy that he beats the fuck up and he spits on. <laughs> but no, I um, I think yeah, it's 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 a fascinating thing where you can have that because to me, too, what works about Idiot Boxes, I think on the basic level, the pitch is really good, which is. Two guys who've watched a lot of movies, 
think they can rob a bank because they know the 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 the, the tricks of the trade, and then they proceed to fuck up. And I think that in itself is good enough to push me along, as well as the good character work for me and the fun scenes and the comedy and and the action and the actual crime heist itself. Uh, I think that idea of these two guys. And I also like in a movie too, especially one that is about character stuff, that the motivation for the crime isn't Ocean's Eleven, right? Where it's like, we need money, we need to do this, blah, blah, blah. It is how lots of crimes, like lots of crimes like this actually do spawn from, which is, especially people I've known in real life who have done criminal activities, it's because they're bored. It's like, I'm bored and I've got nothing to do. I can you know, be bad. I can just fuck up and I will be fine. And sometimes they're not. And sometimes they are. And I think I I also appreciate that as a motivation because it's less Hollywood-y in some ways. This isn't uh, William H. Macy needs this money because he owes debts off screen. So he kidnaps his own wife and then everything goes wrong. It is just- It's Ben Mendelsohn wanted to show a trick. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn and and, like them (laughs) peer pressuring each other because like Ben's not interested- He's not interested in doing it, but then like he gets revved up and he's like, we're going to do it. And then he flip flops because he just doesn't really want to change. <laughs> it's like as soon as one of them like starts having doubts, the other, you know, who's like, oh, pussy, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I, I think the film works for me on those levels as well as just I do really appreciate the, the character scenes. Like I like hanging out with these two guys, even though I wouldn't want to know them in real life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've known them in real life. That's the thing, too. Like I have known these people. I have been unemployed. I have lived in rough suburbs. I have lived in rural area country towns. I know these two guys in real life i've met these type of people countless times i've been in friendships like this in my life i've passed people like this on like you know public transport and stuff like that one of the (laughs) things i'm curious about i know you haven't seen train spotting but it also reminds me of train spotting where that movie doesn't have a plot necessarily like they're doing a heist too in a weird way but it's mainly about hanging out with these characters that you wouldn't want to hang out with in real life and I always think of Ben Mendelsohn, like his character in this reminds me of Begbie in that movie, but not like as deranged of a psychopath. Like he's just like a, like he's a good enough dude, but Ben Mendelsohn in this movie has problems. Like he has anger management problems and he, and he just doesn't care enough, but he's like not evil. I wouldn't say Ben Mendelsohn in this movie is like how he is in Rogue One or many of his Hollywood movies where he's like, I am villain man. I think he adds a layer as an actor of, warmth and honesty and sympathy for the character of uh, that he's playing in this where it endears you to him yet at the same time i wouldn't want to hang out i wouldn't want to meet him he might spit on me and bash me but at the same time like ben mendelson in the writing like it's like we know who this is and we like them anyway you know what i'm saying by that Bartek? Yeah, choice of adjectives is making me, you know, question myself, but I do understand your main point. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. The, the warm thing, like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think he can be very charismatic, this character. He can. And yeah. I think Ben Mendelssohn has a certain, I don't know, I like him as an actor, and I think he can bring, a lot of times he can bring this weird warmth and charisma to roles that on paper should not have any. I don't know. It's just something about him. He has this allure to him. Like, he's this bad boy that you know you shouldn't hang out with, but you kind of do because he's fun. You, before we started recording and before, you know, Contrarians called us, I do remember you did use the term je ne sais quoi. So yeah, I guess that is. Certain, he has a certain je ne sais quoi. Um, Julio, uh, talk to us a bit more about, you know, Idiot Vox. What were some things that stood out to you? 
um, kind of like piggybacking on your Mendelssohn love there. Like, I think he's great, but I don't know that I'm getting too much warmth from him. Uh, but I think I, I kind of like pegged him pretty early on as the uh, kind of like the loose cannon out of the two. Mm-hmm. And so there was, uh, I mean, I guess I can see that he cares for Mick. And that would be probably the, the the big dad. And then, you know, he has this complicated relationship with his mother. But uh, he definitely seemed more of a powder keg. Uh, yeah. He he reminded me of, uh, no, I, I did not think of train spotting at all. I was, uh, I thought of, because uh, I'm like, okay, I know this dynamic, you know, the kind of like the more square guy, which Mick is not necessarily square, but compared to, you know, Kev, he is definitely the calmer out of the two. And then, you know, and then the wild guy. And I'm like, okay. Where have, where have I seen this? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So I'm thinking the Neron Keitel in Mean Streets, right? And, and mm. so Mendelssohn would be the Nero character that's constantly, like, getting them in trouble. And then, um, and then you know, Mick is the guy that's, you know, getting them out of trouble or constantly telling them that he needs to calm down. And then uh, uh, on a much clean-cut version, uh, uh, Matt Damon and Edward Norton in Rounders, that yeah. poker movie. I was thinking about You know, Norton actually. is constantly getting them into trouble. And even though you can tell that they're pretty good friends, but... Mm. Uh, one of them is dragging the other one down. Yeah, that's clearly. the thing. That's a, that's the thing. Like, I, I think they're genuinely friends. Oh, yeah. But they need to stop being friends if they want to grow as people. Because Ben won't change. Like, Ben Mendelssohn refuses to change. But, like, he like Like, it's not like it's an evil, manipulative relationship. Like, it's not as, you know, it's not as, like, oh, Ben Mendelssohn's going to kill him at any point. Like, no, he genuinely has affection for this other guy. He doesn't, like, that's the thing. He just wants the things the way they are. They just want to be, and, like, that can be toxic. But that's what I mean, like, when I say warmth, I'm like, I feel the genuine bond between these two guys, and it's complicated because it's like, you understand why they shouldn't be friends anymore, but in real life, and even in these movies, you get stuck like that, you know? It's like, like, I've been in that relationship in real life, and I've seen that in movies, too, where it's just like, these two shouldn't be really hanging out, but at the same time... They are supportive of one another, and they have fun. Like when, yeah, when you when you're talking about the Kev character in the context of his friendship with Mick, I can see what you're talking about with warmth. But when I was when I heard you say it earlier, I was thinking more along the lines of like when how he treats other people because mm-hmm. you know Mick is the character who, even though you know he might not be the most pleasant person, he wanted to make tea for the mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, his interactions with. Uh, his girlfriend's brother mm. you know he's gonna stab him and he's like oh look come in i'll make you some tea yeah, it's yeah. like that's very much more of a general warmth thing that i would see like yeah in if if kev was in those situations he, like it would get violent he, he yeah well or or awkward like when he gives his mum the tv and he turns into like basically a little boy who's like in trouble he's a man child yeah kev that's a thing he's his child and he doesn't know how to express himself but he knows how to do it with his friend but now his friend wants to change he wants to do something that's the thing they want to do something which is also great for a movie plot where you have two people who don't do anything like can we do something so we can <laughs> they really they really want a coming of age story <laughs> <laughs> i mean why not but why they're not? but they're in a slice of life um but yeah keep going julio like what are some other things for you um really like the cops mm-hmm. the, uh, i mean you don't get much of the about them for a while but then you have that really awesome scene where they bring the drug dealer to uh interrogate him and uh that that's one of the highlights of the movie for me. I think that it's like the dialogue is pretty sharp. The the way that they go about the interrogation and the fact that they fail twice, it's just, <laughs> and then that big reveal of the guy just walking out from with that overhead shot. I was like, that's that's my jam. Like that's where the movie and I were really 
completely in sync. Mm. Uh, it was uh, it was good. Like they didn't overdo it. it. It was one of those things where I I walked into this movie not knowing anything really. I knew uh, Ben Mendelsohn was gonna be in it, and so uh, I guess once I saw like after the first ten minutes, I could kind of figure out that uh, you know there was gonna be a heist and. These guys, our, our protagonists, were going to clash with the cops at some point. And so I thought it was going to be more of a cat and mouse game. Uh, mm. But uh, that's not really what happened. And yet still, like, the side of the cops remain interesting, you know, even though they were chasing almost, like, completely different leads. Yeah. Almost it just reminds you of how insignificant right our main characters are. Like, you think, oh, the cops are going to get onto them. And then when they do, it's for a lesser reason. It's like, oh, we don't want them to perform the crime. It's not like. Yeah, and the male couple's like, oh, look, just can we just let them off? Like, he even, <laughs> even tells Mick in the end, like, Mick's comeuppance is, you know, I'll just go home. Yeah, yeah. But that was go good. Home. Like, I was not expecting him to have that sort of very human uh, reaction to it. Like, the, the male cop that goes just like. I guess he can kind of recognize that they're not really, you know, they're not career criminals. They're just these bored youths that don't know any better. He's like, okay, we just need to scare them. And ideally, we'll just scare them straight. And uh, I guess I imagine you could argue that that's the case because I I think that Mick's not going to go be going into a life of crime after what happens in this movie. I mean, maybe he will. But I, I think that the cop had a point in the, the fact that his... His partner just looks at him and is like, "You're such a softy," or whatever he goes. <laughs> that was that was something else I didn't see coming. I really liked that he had that, yeah. that moment where he just uh, recognized that they were not necessarily bad people; they were just idiots. So, what about you, Alex? I mean, what are some of the things that struck you about the movie? Any standout things, characters, actors? Like, what are what are some things that uh, you had watching this? Well, one of the things that Julio was talking about of the basically the I guess almost like universe or character building I felt that the interactions between the two of them I mean obviously it um, serves to show that Kev has really no regard for his life or frankly anyone else's mm. but it also I think um, uh, it, Mick I think he like means well but he's he's just an idiot and I think the movie like builds to show how dumb he is and I think it's that time you spend with learning like how dumb he is that makes you realize how lucky he is at the end of the movie. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes it less big, like, uh, you know, it's funny in that sense. Uh, it's because he's got a good heart at the end of it. That's yeah. the thing. Like, like he may be dumb and that's the funny too. Like, I don't think of him as that much of an idiot, just kind of like naive, like, na- like he learns everything from TV, like how to go down on a girl. <laughs> Yeah, I think like I would use the word simple to describe him, but sometimes people take that in too negative a context. So mm-hmm. like he's just kind of your, you know, boozer, dumb, mo- uh, directionless twenty something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it serves to show in the end that it's just kind of like, well, you know, his karma kind of paid off, and then of course Ben Mendelsohn shot a dog, so he got exactly what he deserved in the end. But he felt bad but, about uh, it. That's the thing. It. That's the thing <laughs> yeah. about Ben. He feels bad about doing bad things. That's what That's... makes him a complex character. Like he has emotional range as a character. Like he isn't just I do violent things and I'm and just happy. Like he he regrets his outbursts, like shooting the dog. He hates that dog, but he shot it and he's like, I feel bad. I love it was worse than that. It didn't even die. It just <laughs> I winged him. I winged him and he's just like whimpering. He's just That's whimpering. a really interesting scene from an, like in terms of something you could show someone and be like, yeah, see how good this guy is? Because he's doing this thing of like, 
weaving in and out like even at one point he looks away because he's going to start crying when he's like recounting the story but he's also trying to like keep his hard ass image and it's it's just a really small but very good scene of acting um, it's, it's a master class of acting from ben mendelson for sure i you know i mean he's got a lot going on with that character but yeah with with uh with uh mick as a character i think what to make some different is and, and you know he's a simple guy but he does have aspirations and he does have dreams and he does see the world in a more um i don't know honest way than others like the the scene where you know he talks about being you know imagining cars where they're driving off to and then she's like oh they're happy and it's like oh yeah why it's like because they decided to be and he's like oh you can just do that it's like he's the most wise character in the movie because there's so many people in this movie who are like you can just choose to do whatever and he's like oh is that how it works okay there's a film there's a philosophical uh, abstract twist to him i guess because he's mm. also really about poetry things like that yeah and he what is a poem yeah what is a poem because yeah that's the thing like he he has his versions of them and by the end of, i don't know how you guys feel about the poems but kind of by the end of the movie you're like you know i've come around, like i'm getting accustomed to his poems like this one's like i actually really like the one about mondays that he has oh dude the line about Friday that like mm. that was one of those things I said I was folding laundry and I was looking down and I just heard him say like Friday reminds you that it's all the same shit over and over. It's like, oh, my <laughs> God, that cut me deep. Yeah. And like, but at the beginning, you're like, this guy's an idiot because his poems are like about nothing. And also, I really love the commentary too. one of the things I find very interesting. And I wanted to hear from you, Bartek, about this. And obviously our guests is a lot of criticisms I've seen of this movie come local from local people and even international ones is. Why would we want to follow people like this? And especially for local Australians, it's why would we want to follow a couple of dull bludgers, like unemployed losers who have nothing going on? Like, why would you want a movie about these type of people when you could have movies about real people, like important characters? It's like, and I find that such a head scratcher because I'm like, that's Mm. the point of the movie is like we're following people who are losers and they are stuck in multitudes of ways because it's not just like they're stuck because they don't have hopes and dreams they're stuck because they're poor and they don't know any better and they've become comfortable and i know exactly what that's like when you're poor and you're unemployed and you get stuck in the system you get comfortable to it because you think there's no way out of it and you form these relationships with people that you would never usually do because they understand you like when i was unemployed Oh, it's like, you know, you didn't get it and because you haven't gone through that experience. But I had friends that I don't hang out with anymore because they understood it. We were part of the same cruel system of being poor and unemployed. And it's just like, yeah, that makes them stuck. And I find it so weird that some people locally and internationally, whatever, see movies like this and they go, why the fuck should we have a movie about losers like this? And I'm like, why not? I mean, that's the thing, too, like in cinema. There's been many filmmakers who do cover these type of subject matters and they were criticized at their time and eventually heralded, I think, of John Cassavetes. He had movies like that where he just covered drug addicts and like losers in New York or whatever. And people at the time were like, why the fuck should I care about this? And then he became like an Oscar nominated director and stuff where he kept doing the same shit. It's like people just have a temperament about that. What do you think about that kind of complaint? I feel like we've talked about that a million times on the podcast before. <laughs> I think even in very bad things, which Alex reminded we talked about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like if you have a story to tell about, you know, characters that are different and not everyone can relate to, you know, that's immediately a valid thing in my opinion. Like these are characters, they have 
characterization to them. Um, they have different worldviews. We've described both of these characters who, you know, people seem to be dismissing as, I don't know, what, what would you describe as, like, boring or un- uninspired? Not worthy of a story Not being told Not worthy of about. a story being told, but we've, you know, been talking about how, you know, they've got a dynamic that's interesting, you know, they're, they're keeping themselves down and comfortable, one's a bit more philosophical, one's a powder keg. Mm-hmm. But it's um, funny, too. That's the thing. Yeah, and the film has humour, and it it deals with elements that are uncommon. Like, you even talked about it before, Ryan, about how um, the motivation for a lot of the actions is boredom. Yeah. Yeah, it's just boredom. Like that's it, and you go. Yeah. And then, as Al- and then, as Alex said, like the Friday reminds you nothing ever changes. Like that's that's what the film kind of is about. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, what about you, Patek? This is your revisit. What did you think about it? Revisiting it what were some moments that stood out for you. Work didn't work. Characters stuff. Like, yeah, what do you, what do you think about it? I was for for I think I've already kind of talked about it, but I was really interested in Mick in this film. Mm-hmm. Just seeing him interact because he, he interacts with I think more characters than the Kev character does. Mm-hmm. And he's got the girl, his friend Kev, um, the the girl's brother, the bartender, the bartender, um, his brother, his brother, his his friend's mum. Yeah, just like every single interaction is him. Slightly altering himself, but still being pretty much himself. Mm. Like he is this kind of, you know, he's a dull bludger, meaning that he's living on living on welfare check to check. Um, when he falls asleep in the bathroom, mom's <laughs> like, "Oh, it's happening again." And his reaction is like, "Oh yeah, I guess." And then he goes and tries to make the mum tea, like that <laughs> as was an apology. As an apology, um, <laughs> you get the sense that this has happened a lot. <laughs> yeah, and just his. Should I say common sense? Like I remember one of when we first watched it, like you really lost it, Ryan, at the fact that he wanted to have sex with the girl while she was on her period, and even afterwards, like he was still giggling about it because I was Ben Mendelssohn. Because ben- when he when he when he when he also revealed that he also went down on her when she was on her rags, I was just like, ah, <laughs> oh, can we not? Can we not? So you. That's a young man's game right there. <laughs> oh, Alex, just come here. Jesus Christ. Can we just end the podcast now after that? We're never going to fucking recover. We're never going to fucking recover. I think you, you, you got to get with the program, Ryan. That hmm. is just like a, that can't be just like a, an American movement. I think that's like worldwide. We're, we're like, uh, you know, the world is uh, taking the shame of uh, what they call period sex. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that fascinated me on this watching of it was um, just the the world that they live in and how it is just this nightmare, but also one where you can see why they're comfortable in it. Like, they just go to the pub and they go to the mall and they play their video games and they're grown adults and they, like wait in line and Ben Mendelsohn sniffs ladies and like plays with their skirts because there's nothing else to do there's nothing else to do they're like they live in these nice looking fairly nice but also kind of dingy looking suburbs and it's like just the rigmarole of like we'll ride our bikes just around and we'll just chat because we've got nothing else to do we can watch the tv that's on so I was really enraptured by that element of it of just 
the oppressive but also uh, welcoming atmosphere of Australian suburbia because to me that is what really nails down why they are the way they are. Like <laughs> one of my favorite gags because it's real is they have this scene, these scenes where each one of them goes to their doll officer guy who's like, "Have you applied for this? Yes." Did you get the interview? No, but you tried. Yes, I did. Okay, here's your money. And just walk off. I've had that in real life. And many people have had that. Where it's just like, the guy who's at that place is just one of them, but he has a job. Just this disaffected, like, I don't give a fuck, kind of like, what else is there to do? Like, we're stuck. He's going down the checklist, yeah. Yeah. You've done this, yes, didn't happen, no, but you tried, yeah. Uh, So you apply, so your special skill is fashion photographer. Yep. (laughs) He's like leaning on his chair, kicking his table. (laughs) I'll I'll ask him about the hobby, all right? Yep, Yep, yeah. And then it's like, I love that scene where that captures it. But like, yeah, there's obviously Australian things that appeal to me that you guys wouldn't understand, such as like, they shot in a real pub. That's what a real pub looks like in Australia. Sometimes in movies, they make pubs not look like what they look like because we've got to make them cinematic. I just like, I'm like, oh, look, they've got all the paraphernalia that I see in real pubs and bars in Australia. That's cute. Or like Julio said, like the, the girl works at the store. And I'm like, oh, you mean the bottle shop where they just buy their beer and that, that's all it is? It's just like some dingy little bottle shop in the middle of nowhere where people just buy their beer. We call them a bottle Yeah, a bottle That's what they, because we always add O's and I's, uh, O's or IE's at the end of things um, because we're, that's our vernacular. That's our thing. But yeah, that's what really captured me. And obviously, as usual, Ben Mendelssohn. I love this is probably my favorite performance of his and maybe coming from a nostalgic place but I just think he does acting masterclass in this movie throughout the entire runtime. I think the dog scene is probably the shooting of the dog scene is probably the greatest point of it for his acting but I just I can't keep my eye off of him. I find him just such an electric performer to watch on, on screen. I, I watch things I go out of my way to watch things because he's in it. And he's an actor to me, we've talked about many times, Bartek, where he just can carry a whole movie on his fucking back if it's the right project. Like, I didn't love Una, the movie we covered, where he... That's a whole movie. I won't give away the plot description, but I didn't love that movie, uh, but I loved him in it. Like, I was mm. like, he's great. Like, he's carrying the movie, and he's acting opposite Rooney Mara, the charisma vacuum. So you're having to watch him just lift this movie <laughs> on his shoulders and, like, punt it up in the air. And but then also I've been disappointed by movies because they don't use Ben Mendelsohn. Like we, The Dark Knight Rises is a movie we've covered on this show, and we nearly finished the review. And our friend asked, "Oh, this right, Ryan, this is Ben Mendelsohn. What did you think of him?" And my reply was, "Oh, it was nice that he was here, but too bad they didn't use him." Like because Ben Mendelsohn's just a guy in a suit. He has no, he has nothing. And then you watch this movie. All like, I, I literally all I remember him in The Dark Knight Rises is he calls Anne Hathaway a bitch at one point, and I was just <laughs> like, what? And he gets his face crushed by Tom Hardy, who's shorter than him. And you've also got yes. that Netflix show, right? The, Bloodline yeah. is a show that is one season's worth watching, and then the other two seasons forget about it. It's a great show, but it's that one season that you need to watch. But the whole pitch of it is. Ben Mendelsohn is the fuck up a black sheep of the family and he comes back and that's the pitch and it goes on from and, there. and it's literally a case of like the one season to watch is the only one he's in yes because yeah. the whole show hinges on his character like the whole thing is like the opening thing is Carl Chandler who's a good actor too is like I killed my Hell brother yeah. and you then have to eh. find out why he did this what was that sorry 
Oh, Alex is not as high on Kyle Chandler, I guess. Oh, he's I am. he's great in in Bloodline. Um, but he, you know, that's the whole pitch of that show is like, how did I? Why did I kill my brother? And then the season ends, and you find out, and then the rest of the show goes on after that, and you're like, well, uh, okay, why are we here, dude? I don't know what we're doing. Now we got John Leguizamo as a crazy criminal. Okay, what the fuck is this? Why is Bo Bridges in this show? <laughs> that kind of thing. So yeah, that's where where I'm I'm coming at it. Well, I mean, we've talked about Ben Mendelsohn a bit. Um, what is what is your kind of feelings on him as an actor? What have been some standout things for you? And what did you think of him of him here? Because this is again a very early role for him. This is an Australian role as well, which I don't know if you guys have watched any of his actual you know local material. What's your kind of dynamic with him, um, Alex? We probably. I wonder if we had our first Mendelssohn experience uh, with the same movie, uh, which is that, uh, you know, he's uh, Ryan Gosling's partner. Oh, uh, Place Beyond the Pines, which oh, that's a movie yes. I'm, ex- I'm extremely high on that movie. Mm. He's great in it. And, uh, he's great in it. Julio, you're kind of, what, mild? Oh, that movie? No, I like it a lot. No, yeah. I, I think that movie's oh, okay. Great. The scene where uh, Ryan Gosling gets pissed and wakes him up by putting the gun in his mouth, like the, that, and uh, the scene where they actually pull off their first heist, and Ben Mendelsohn's driving, you know, the fucking U-Haul, and he's just yelling in the back, like "We did it!" And Ryan Gosling's <laughs> just puking his guts out in the back because it's like this big <laughs> adrenaline dump. It's uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, obviously, Rogue One, Dark Knight Rises is just kind of what you were saying, Ryan. It's at this point, it's more of just kind of like a funny asterisk uh, that, hey, Ben Mendelsohn happened to be in this. Yeah, and I'm not a um, fan of him in Rogue One because that movie can't decide who the villain is. Like, oh, do we want it to be an actual actor or a CGI creature whose name is someone saying Someone saying a bad word about Rogue One. History has been made. I know. That's like, I'm bold. My, so many, like my Twitter timeline would have you believe it's the best Star Wars movie, which is... Some uh, people believe that. No, no. which is just dead wrong but um yeah for me most recently it was the land of steady habits as i mentioned which is a netflix original movie which he is very very good in the movie itself kind of falls flat but uh he for a while for me was a that guy guy mm-hmm. like you saw him you're like oh hey it's that guy but it's definitely someone who in my older age and the more movies i see of him especially in starring roles like this He's fucking Ben Mendelsohn. And I think that, man, this movie is one of those pieces of business that, like, is the proverbial. You see the, this lump of clay here, and you're like, my God, mm-hmm. this could be molded into so many things. You and can like, see why he's a movie star now. Like, you know, like, he oh, you can yeah. tell this guy's going to go on. He's he's got he's got talent. Like not saying that Jeremy Sims, the other guy, doesn't. He does too. But he he went into direction more. But he's a good actor. Like Jeremy Sims, who plays uh, uh, Ke- uh, Mick, sorry, is uh, he's very good in this as well. But you see Ben Mendelsohn, and you just go, this guy's he's got he's got the the X factor, as they call it, Bartek. Um, hey Ryan, why are you looking at your phone? Oh, I just have some Ben Mendelsohn roles that I like to shout out. Um, I remember <laughs> uh, the- Startup. Have you seen Startup? Yes, that's a fucking great movie really underrated i was gonna say one of the first american movies i think i remember reviewers talking about him in because they didn't know who he was and they genuinely asked the question is he really a drug addict was uh killing them softly starring brad pitt he's in that movie he's in that Mm -hmm. and he's one of the most memorable parts of that movie uh at least for me and it was like people at the time movie critics like who's this guy is he like a real guy because he's like so greasy and sweaty and 
fucking manic and weird in that movie and he's like he comes across like he's a real fucked up guy and I was like oh good for Ben he's tricking these dumb Americans <laughs> <laughs> well you know actors in films they're they're acting they're being people they're being, they're, people. They're being themselves we, we nicknamed Ben Mendelsohn Mendo because you know Mendelsohn Mendo is the actor. Um, what about you, Julio Mendelssohn? You've seen him in a couple of things. I mean, you love him in those Marvel movies where they do nothing with him, but go on. Oh, he's great, dude. Come on. He's, but, uh, no, he's fine. My biggest problem is uh, we haven't seen enough. Like, that's my critique is like Captain Marvel. It's like his whole character is supposed to be like a twist reveal. So you don't really get him fully. And then in the other movies, he's been like a blink and you miss it type cameo thing. Like, like. Yeah, I'm not but, but against see, you him. Were he just about needs that. to be in more. He just needs to be in more screen time for me to judge. Like with Dark Knight Rises, he's not giving a bad performance, but he's not giving given anything. And that's how I feel about him in the MCU. Is like he's given something, but on purposely it's been obfuscated because it's supposed to be like twisty turny, and then you run out of screen time and the movie's over, and then in the next movie he's just like an like an end credit cameo. So I don't know. But you were talking about how he he has that warmth that he brings mm. to characters, and I think that that was kind of like the the, the masterstroke when they cast him as as his character in Captain Marvel, because, uh, you know, that kind of like halfway through the movie, he goes from being an antagonist to being more of an ally, and you have to have an actor that can do that change where he can be menacing at the beginning, and then suddenly you buy, you know, when once you get a different context, you realize that he was actually. Uh, he was kind of a noble character and I think he pulls it off. You know, he has, he has a scene where he beats the shit out of Samuel Jackson and you're mm. like, man, this guy's a badass. And then you have later on a scene where he's just cowering for his family and you buy him in both, you know, he has that range and you, you forgive him. Like, you, you know, you make the leap from being like, Oh, this guy was a bad guy to now like this, a guy that I'm rooting for. So I think that they, it's really good casting. They, they got to have some fun with him just with the scroll makeup. And, you know, he gets a, a few laughs and, and, you know they didn't kill him off, so you. Mm. I'm pretty sure that we'll we'll see more of him. Oh there. yeah, and now that's everybody not... signed on. It was fucking hilarious <laughs> to me yes. when I watched Endgame and thought to myself, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie. That's one of the craziest <laughs> fucking jokes. But what about <laughs> this? Like, is this your first real taste of Mendelssohn in an Australian thing? I want to say yes. I don't think I've seen him uh, in an Australian movie before. Uh, because, you know, like the titles that we're talking about, like I've seen him in that, but that's, you know, he's usually playing like an American. I honestly, I don't remember him in Killing Them Softly. I liked the movie, but I, I couldn't remember. He's that was probably one. before I knew like who he was. So yeah. it didn't register the, the actor playing him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved him in Place Beyond the Pines, where again, he plays a character that's kind of shady, but you kind of like him. He, I don't know. He's, he's a complex actor. Slow West, the last good Michael Fassbender movie created. <laughs> <laughs> which was like six, seven years ago, where he's a, he doesn't speak much in that movie and he's an antagonist, shock, shock. And I really like him in, uh, um, there's this one movie, Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds. It's one of the few good, like, dramatic Ryan Reynolds movies, like when he actually is like, I want to do something worthy, where it's just Ben Mendelsohn and him, a couple of gambling addicts. It's basically like two dumbass friends get into some hijinks. And it's a very good movie and he's very good in it. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of highlight him because he is the thing that like, for me, it's like Idiot Box is a great movie. It's a great fun movie, but it's also like, in part, it is, oh, look at this chapter of an actor who's gone on to do more, who's gone on to, in a way to take this type of character he plays here and expand upon it in other projects. Because in all honesty, 
his character here isn't too dissimilar to other roles we've seen him do, but it's just the context of it is what makes it shine differently as well. Like, I love some of the scenes of just the two of them talking shit and just them ragging on each other or my favorite sequences are the uh when he shows them a trick and they do horrendously little small crimes at people like when he robs the charity charity koala guy and they just run and my favorite humor from him is like every time he does something despicable and then he like looks at a thing and he's just like he has his like dispassionate response like he opens up the charity thing and there's like barely any money in it and he just goes ah People are stingy these days. And he's like, he's just heartened by how cruel others are. Or like when he smashes the guy's headlights for high beaming him. And he's just like lamenting at how rude other people are. <laughs> and then when he when he's in the middle of doing all that, you ha- you have those moments where like, you know, he does like the Christ pose, looks up in the air. Screams like, up and It's yeah. very muted. We can get like the bad, bad, bad bagpipes. Yeah. Bad pipes. And it bad slows down. Distance. Yeah. It just- shows you that this is him and his... In his in his mode, like he, this is what he fucking loves. This is his glorious mode. Yes, he loves being the self destructive chaotic and, person. And the fact that it happens, you know, as he's like been shot, is like, oh, he's he loves enjoying it. this to some extent. And then you get that confirmed when he's like, "Am I dead yet?" And it's like, not quite yet. And he just starts laughing. He's just <laughs> laughing, and it just ends. It's like that's the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, I just love um, a lot of the characters too, the side characters. I love um, uh, the the criminal element of the movie, the the drug dealer guy who lives in his mother's garage, and he has his dumbass guy henchman who goes to get him a burger because he got pineapple on it, which sweetens the meats, and the whole type of thing. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I love those characters. As a fatty, I was thinking about that. I was like, have I ever had pineapple on a burger before? You haven't. Like, I've had it on. Haven't. You haven't? I don't think so. I've had it like on pizza and all oh, other wow. kinds of shit. But, so in Australia, yeah. that's kind of a standard. We have what we call a, a works burger where you have the works on it, which will have like bacon, egg, pineapple, beetroot, lettuce, tomato, cheese, sauce, patty. And that's like a standard like, you know, big burger meal that you'll get at a burger shop or like you know, sounds places. good yeah, it is pretty good but there's a big debate about like pineapple and beetroot which i hate and so does bartek and the policeman also hates when they ask him in the car and he's like yeah. i don't mind pi- pineapple but beetroot though that's crook <laughs> and i know <laughs> yeah, that was, i, I took right. note of crook I, I guess crook's supposed to mean shite like it's not good yeah yeah it, it's bad yeah, yeah. like also okay. it's like sick like ill like when I'm feeling crook, like oh, I'm so that's sick. why he's like your armpit's a bit crook. And yeah. in a sense, also it's like <laughs> it, it is a crook. It's like a criminal thing to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, that type of things, but yeah, your armpit—it's a bit crook there, mate. And it's just like, yeah, it's a bit ill. It's just gross. Like, yeah, feeling sickly and gross. So. <laughs> that line from the bank teller, yeah, yeah. from uh, David Wenham. David fucking Wenham, who would go on to be Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Here he is as like little bank teller manager. Did you? I mean, I think I told you guys that keep an eye out for David Wenham. He's in this movie, but would you have recognized him instantly if you didn't know that, or did you? I wouldn't have. I would, no. I'm so glad that you pointed it out because I mean, I was I was on the lookout for him, and I yeah. was afraid that maybe I'd miss him. Maybe he was like one of the background characters in the bar no. or something. But then as soon as he showed up at the bank, I'm like, oh, there he is. There okay. he is. There's our boy. There's a lot of fun character actors that would go on to do things like one of my favorites, and Bartek, you're, you you may remember the guy who's like, "This is my car. 
Uh, that was one of my favorite payoffs, by the way. One of my favorite payoffs is they stole a security guard's car, and then he's like, that's my fucking car. I love that. And it's one of those, like, that makes sense, but it's also, like, really dumb that they willingly give him his car back, and then he willingly lets them go. Like, it's just, like, and then camaraderie they're like, of, like, you fucking. And then now. they're genuinely bothered by, like, well, how do we commit the crime now? Do we do we just, it? We just do it. We're, we're already here. Well, I'm not going back. I'm not doing this all If we don't do it now, we'll never do yeah, it. Yeah, we'll never do it. And uh, we'll just keep talking shit and shit but i love that actor he was in mad max fury road he was uh my favorite sequence which is uh he's the bullet farm guy where he got blinded and he wraps bandages around his eyes and said that he's the lady justice of the wastelands and he's just shooting machine guns into the desert blindly he was one of my favorite sequences in mad max fury road and i'm like hey it's that guy but we know him for a show called fat pizza uh, uh, where he plays a father-in-law character who's like the chief of police and he's threatening our main character because he doesn't like him and he's like come here and he's being all friendly but he's threatening him he's like let me show you my gun and he's like pointing it at his face and then oh, the yeah. daughter comes in and she's like daddy what are you doing and he's like I'm just showing him my gun and he's like being very jovial about his <laughs> gun but he's like obviously threatening to shoot him in the face he was one of those character actors the drug addict lady uh she actually has an interesting little filmography. If you if you know the Babadook, that film that came mm-hmm. out a little while back, that was a sensation horror Australian film. I don't know if you ever saw that either of you. That was a big film back in 2014. I want to say. I'm pretty sure I watched it in theaters. Mm, She was in the short film that helped make that film. She was the lead role in the film Monster, which was a 10 minute short film that was kind of the hey, give me money so I can make this into a feature film. So that's an interesting little connection because we've covered a Jennifer Kent movie on here before and so The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. So there's all those kind of uh, sequences. Bartek, what was a funny moment for you? What was like some laugh, you know, some kind of humorous scenes and things? Um, well, like I said, a lot of the the mixed scenes, like, you know, when the when the <laughs> when his girlfriend's boyfriend comes over and is like, you can't you can't be doing you mean his brother, her brother. That's what I meant. Yes. yes. The girlfriend's brother comes in like, you can't be doing that, man. This is common sense. And he pulls out a knife. It's like, what is this? Come in, have some tea. <laughs> and comes in and he's like, you get sucked into the whole thing. Like, how do you take a tea? Black? Do you have any sugar? <laughs> um and also, this kind of ties in more with characterization than funny. But when um when they're at the arcade and Ben Mendelsohn's playing the the two games, he's playing like the driving game and then, mm. and then Virtual Cop. Um, I like the the little touch of when he's playing the driving game, he's kind of neutral to it because it's mm. not as much of a you know violent thing. But then with the the gun game where he's shooting, he's just going crazy and swearing up a storm. He's going and- full Scarface. Yeah. It's- <laughs> Really shows you a side of this character. You know, he's the young guy who's goofing off the arcade, but he has his preference. Yeah, he does have his preferences there. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, the the best part is that his friend notices. Like, you can, (laughs) you get the reaction shot of Mick watching him and he doesn't, you know, you can tell that he, at least to me, it looked like he was thinking, okay, he's, he's a little too into it. Yeah. (laughs) He's seen him. And um, also, when when the um, the charity koala guy is chasing them, the the song that plays just randomly switches to yodeling. <laughs> just, yeah, it's it, yodeling. You, you mentioned fat pizza before. That felt like a very fat pizza move to do. Yeah, I I, I do love another moment that I want to highlight, and then I'll pass it over to you guys to talk about some moments that like you enjoyed like that that were humorous or funny or just like observations on character like that was uh the sex scene with uh, Ben Mendelsohn where he's still smoking his cigarette and he's watching TV while he fucks her. And he's like, 
just ejaculates and then he's like, oh, look at this. And just her reaction to it. It's like, is that it? I've had a longer piss than that. And his, his reaction to the theme is also like, oh, this guy's a legend. It was like very Australian kind of reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like putting a criminal up on legendary status is a very Australian thing to do. Like, look at this guy. What a fucking cool dude. That's very, like Ned Kelly. They, yeah, they shot Ned Kelly and they brought him in, you fucking idiot. Oh, another exchange of lines and I'll pass it over is, did you just call me an idiot? No, I asked if you're an idiot, you fucking idiot. I just, that's one of those things. Where I just smile and go, that's, yeah, yeah that, that's nice and uh, quippy there. Uh, what about you, Alex? What were some kind of uh, humorous moments or little character details that you appreciated? We were talking about it earlier, the TV. The I thought it was hilarious how he took the TV to the pub to sell it and he started at 150 and then he went up in price when people were saying no. And he was like 175. And then he just like, you know, it went the exact opposite of what you typically do. And then he conceded defeat. And he was just like, 50 bucks, you know, $50. I'll sell this to you right now. And he's he's like, you, you yuppie bastard. $50 for this TV. It's just a good little sequence there. But yeah, I mean, the, the things y'all called out and it's... Um, it was... I don't know. It's weird. I, I I don't want to describe it as like observational. You mentioned uh, train spotting earlier, and I I didn't want to make the comparison because that felt like a dickhead American thing to do. But that's definitely <laughs> I felt uh, similarities between the two in the sense of like upon first viewing, I felt it more just kind of observational of like uh, this is obviously a different country, different customs, different way of speaking. So kind of just trying to figure out these characters and the way they interact with one another. So um, I think there'd probably be more like little quips and quirks that I'd pick up on, upon a second viewing. But mm. yeah, definitely just some of the back and forth dialogue and the way yeah, the, after the period sex where Ben Mendelsohn tells him, you just ruined my day. And he's, you know, he calls him, he's like, you filthy cunt. And then like walks out of the room, like almost like dry heaving to himself. It's really good. Yeah, he's grossed out. I, I, I also love... um. See, that's what I love about their friendship, though, because they have genuine moments like, you know, you do that to your friends, like you mock them. Oh, yeah. Fun. Like one of the classics, and I think it really endears me to Ben Mendelsohn. Like it's the moment where I go, I get it. I get why you would hang out with this, like tolerate this guy when when um, when uh, Mick is asking her out on a date by using the I owe you 30 cents. And it just Ben Mendelssohn loses it in the background. He just starts giggling. He's like, I owe you 30 cents. <laughs> he just <laughs> fucking losing it. Because it's like, I've seen guys do that where they ask a girl out awkwardly in the most silly way where it's like, you could just ask normally. And I just love Ben Mendelssohn being like, ah, you're fucked. <laughs> just leaves. <laughs> That's one of those moments where I'm like, yeah. I've been that dude before. <laughs> I've been that guy. I also like their um the first scene at the bottle where <laughs> Mick was trying to like, oh, let's do something for a change. Ben was just like resisting. It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah. I just want my um Victor I want my VB, which is a beer, Victorian bitter, which is a popular beer for that type of uh, these these type of people. And I love is like, oh, let's change it up. It's like, fine, let's change it up. And then, no, no, we'll stick to it. It's like, that's what I wanted in the first place. What's your problem, dude? <laughs> I would say oh, a little Australianism that I do love. People do this uh, with vi with uh, Victorian bitter, which is often just called VB as a beer. I do love that he, he does the Australian thing where he calls it uh, some vitamin B. Um, that's just something I want my I want my intake of vitamin B. I just <laughs> 
That's one of those little, like, Australian things that in real life I do love. I love that we do that because it's, like, this funny way of just, like, normalizing like, yeah, beer. Yeah, like, the cheeky little thing. Yeah, it's just a cheeky way to normalize, like, alcohol. We do that a lot. We just, like, normalize these type of uh, traits and, 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 and customs and that by just making it kind of jokey. Like, yeah, vitamin B for, for beer. Like, yeah, I want some vitamin B. Uh, Julio, what about you? What were some kind of uh, humorous moments or character things that kind of stood out for you? Uh, being the the big Marvel fan that I am, I I got a kick out of the fact that the the small time criminal was constantly watching the old sixties Marvel animated uh, mm-hmm. series, like the really old timey ones, uh, which made me also think like, man, how much do they, do they have to pay to like license? Those? Fun I mean, fact: I there's, actually like there's actually an answer to that. There's actually an answer. I listened to the audio commentary, and he said mm-hmm. they were very, very, very cheap because. In the 90s, Marvel was fucking dying, and so he got it for real cheap. That's that the makes answer. sense. That makes sense. That was before the they became titans of the industry. Yeah, yeah because I know the creator of Babylon 5, JMS, when he got his hands on Spider-Man, they were like considering like wrapping up Spider-Man and Thor because they were just not selling as well. Like They needed to kick up the arse. So there was that period of time, late 90s, where Marvel was kind of struggling, I guess. And then this is just a little bit into the mid-90s. So, yeah, they just got it for real cheap. So I actually had an answer to that question for you, Julio, which is really cheap. (laughs) Mystery solved. Uh, But, yeah, I I really enjoyed that just uh, because I guess it builds up. Like, at first he's just watching it and it's just a a detail. But then when it gets to the end when... uh, He's beating up his uh, his lackey because mm. he figures out that they he let the Kev steal the guns. I love that. And you gave have, him like... the guns. I can't believe you gave him the fucking guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they intercut that with the the violence on the TV from the cartoons. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, that was a good one. And I, I really I really appreciated the moments that kind of highlighted, uh, you know, that what we we're talking about that this this friendship uh, that mixed friendship with Kev is a good thing. It's a bad thing, but he can also feel like it's a good thing. Because uh, that, that moment where he uh, goes and smashes the lights out of the, the guy that was kind of like riding their ass and mm. with the brights uh, on, that is, like, I totally got it. You know, he gets back and makes looking at him like, you're a badass. You just did something that I wouldn't have done. And, yeah. Uh, you know, contrast that with the moment where they're like at the, what do you call it? The bottle store? Yeah, the bottle <laughs> The bottle And, uh, he and steals. while the girl, while the girl's getting their their beer, uh, Kev goes and just steals a bag of chips because he can, right? Yeah. But you can see mixed reaction in like the background. He's like, "Man, <laughs> yeah, why do you have to be like this?" Yeah. So I, I really, I think that that fleshed out the relationship. There are like moments like that throughout the movie that are, you know, that go beyond uh, just whenever it is that they're yelling at each other and it's a little more overt, but just the, the subtle moments where you can, you can sense when he's kind of uh, happy that he's a friend and then also when he's kind of embarrassed or just not feeling the friendship and uh, that that is that works for me a lot better than just when they're act- actively like yelling at each other yeah um, although i do love the things that they yell at each other in the commentary track they talked about um ben mendelson's characters like based on a dog where he just acts on instinct a lot and you get that a lot in the movie there's just lots of things and i've and i've no- again i've known people like this where they just do things and you're like why are you doing this it's like because i can i can do this why not why not i can do this this yaks on emotions and instinct rather than 
like intellect and thought and like actual like reflection on things. And I think that's what's great about the two characters because uh, 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 Kev, he does, you know, I mean, Mick, he doesn't act like that. He doesn't just go off of like, that's his thing. He, he, he's far more reserved in that manner. He isn't willing. And that's why like they have the fun conflict of let's rob a bank and actually do this. Let's actually fucking do something. Please. Can we do something? And, uh, yeah, I, um, I also like their actual, <laughs> them figuring out how to rob a bank, like the whole process of like, let's get a suitcase and put this in it so that the screens won't go down and then we can jump through. Like the, the actual, like them figuring out what to do and like what problems and then like staking out the joint, but they're doing it on like little bicycles and like <laughs> 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 just, just talking shit. And all, when they got guns. When they were practicing with their guns and stuff, and just that her brother was the better shot, and they're like, "Nah, but you're the driver. We're not going to give you that. You're going to be the driver originally." And just that type of thing, and just Ben Mendelsohn fucking sucks shooting guns. <laughs> like you think out of all of them, he would know, but no, he's just an idiot. Like he's just stupid and violent and mean spirited, but he's not. He's also not competent enough at it. Um, I don't know. It's a very Australian thing as well that I get a joy out of seeing a character unironically just spit at people it's just something that some australians do and some like low lives do and when he spat at the dog that was like a laugh out loud moment because i'm like yeah yeah you would do that wouldn't you it's like it's mean but it's like no 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 that's his response he's like i can't kick this dog i can't get to this dog i'll just i don't know just the visual of him doing that just like made me laugh a lot i don't know why it's not great i think what I love in a movie too, I always use Nightcrawler as a great example of this. I love in a movie where you have a moment that perfectly summarizes the character and you understand them for the rest of the film. In Nightcrawler, my example is Jake Gyllenhaal is trying to, at the very beginning, he's stolen a bunch of stuff and he's selling it to this like, um, you know, junkyard guy. And then he asks for a job with a junkyard guy and the guy's like, no. And then he leaves and then Jake comes back and he's like, why didn't you give me the job? And he's like, because you're a thief. And then he nods and he like he, he notes that down. He's like, I'm going to remember that. And it's like that told me everything I need to know about Lou Bloom for the rest of the entire run with uh, with Ben Mendelsohn in this. The whole exchange of like, why did you do that? Like, why are you so angry all the time? And he's like, because I like it. It's me. You know, it's me hobby. I enjoy being angry. And that's like the scene that I think summarizes the, the the character for the rest of the time. It's like, he enjoys being angry because it's all he's got. It's his hobby. It is me hobby. And why don't you get one? It is me hobby. <laughs> I love that. To me, that's like some of my favorite stuff in movies when you have that kind of moment. Wouldn't you agree, Bartek? No, for sure. I remember there's a scene where uh, Ben Mendel's Kev's girlfriend is... um. Asking like, oh, do you want to go do these things? And some of them do sound like things that he would like. He's like, no, I fucking hate that. He's just like, <laughs> you know, just looking for an excuse to be angry. <laughs> yeah, he's just shutting down anything yep. to do. And, and then, just- and then, as you said, also the scene where he's trying to give the TV to his mum, like. He doesn't want to get that angry with her, but he like is stuck on what to do. Yeah, yeah. And then he just destroys the TV in the end, and then um, beats the shit out of that guy. And I, I love that. You know what I love? There's a little detail I love that you don't see in movies, but I've seen, like, I just know. When he beats the shit out of him, he kicks him on the ground. He then proceeds to stand on his back and ride him like a surfboard when he does it. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's a nice detail. Again, this is the stuff what I mean when I talk about, like, Australian movies and you guys are like, what's the point of it? Blah, blah, blah. There's those little touches 
like that, that you as an American don't need to know that, but that's like a little detail you go, you know, I don't see that a lot in, in, in more conventional movies. Like, after Ben beats him up, he then proceeds to stand on his back and ride him like a surfboard. There's like little things, little comedy beats, little choices like that, that make it stand out for me. Like, I was waiting for somebody here to make the mistake of saying it's like a Guy Ritchie movie, even though this is before any of Guy Ritchie's movies, because it's like flashy and quick and you have characters that you could go, that's like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Bows, but like it's still it's very different, you know, like in that this way. This was more nineties. Yeah, I I got to know Guy Ritchie vibes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there, I could, there was no Guy. Yeah, I could think. Well, Lockstock was only a couple years after. It wasn't that long after. And that movie's very flashy and has the. You realize, editing. Ryan, you're the one that's made the connection. Now. No, no, but like I'm saying, like I could Owned. see, I could see that argument being made, and like no, I understand, yeah, and you know, I could see the argument being made that's Tarantino-y, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, I don't think the dialogue is is um scripty. You know what I mean? Like Quint Tarantino's yeah. is like I'm I'm scripty dialogue. There, where there are don't elements talk like people at all. There are elements of in this film that I could see like oh if Tarantino had it he would do things like the the whole the the guy with the guns like I yeah. could see Tarantino doing a lot with a character like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. and then and then all the women grab their feet out and wiggle them on the screen. And <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> there is no problem. There's no problem. <laughs> some lovely feet. Um, I have a question for well, yes. mainly for Alex, but I don't know uh, if you guys can remember the first time you watched this movie. Because uh, one of the things that I I was kind of that kept nagging at me was just uh, the so the subplot with the the drug addict uh, woman and how at, at least to my mind it never becomes apparent. You know what that has to do with the rest of the movie until the very end and. Uh, did you guys see that coming? Like, were you like? Well, if you're a keen-eyed viewer, you first meet the guy, and he's wrapping up his shotgun. That's the first thing you see of him, but you don't I, notice. I noticed it on the when I rewatched that first thirty mm-hmm. minutes again, but the first time I didn't. No, I didn't either. It's it's supposed to be like a surprise reveal of like how these things tie together. Yeah, and that he knows his brother as well. Like like he is friends with uh, Kev's brother, Mick's brother. Sorry. And then Kev meets him at the pool. So, like, these things are coming. They come together. At first, you don't know what the point is, and then it all culminates together. Yeah, I wasn't seeing the connection either. But when when they were unmasking the guy at the end, I was like, oh, man, who could it be? And I'm like, I guess it should be this guy. And it was this guy. Yeah. But there are tricks very early on that tell you directly he's the guy. Yeah, I, I didn't see any of those tricks, but in retrospect, it was like, oh, well, I can see that, you know, a lot of that money that was stolen probably went to the drugs. Yep, and they're out of money. I'm out of money. So he's motivated to do another crime again because he loves her and it's an abusive relationship. Like, that. that's his version of why he does crimes. It's like this abusive relationship. And so he's doing his crimes. And he's also not good at it. I love, like... He's not a pro. He he takes too small. I love the cops mentioned that. He's like, he's not good at it either, but he just does it a lot. He like travels everywhere. I love that. He's like, ah, oh, this guy, this this bastard gets around. He really like it. And he's like, what does that tell you? He has a car. <laughs> it's like, thanks, cops. They're fucking useless. But um, uh, what about you, Alex, to answer that question for Julio? Uh, uh yeah, Julio. Your favorite movie or one of them is Twelve Monkeys. I mean, that doesn't really explain everything till the very end. So I'm surprised you'd be that impatient about it. No, but I was, I was like, I knew it was gonna come together at some point, but until it did, I'm like, why am I still like, what's the deal with this 
with this woman, you know, because everything else you can kind of like, you know, I see cops. I'm like, okay, I know how the cops fit into this. Like, I expected her to kind of, you know, become part of the heist. You she know, just sells like how them the, the idiot box. Come on. Eh, I mean, I guess, but that felt more like a, you know, like a cameo in each other's stories. It's not like like the the brother of the the bottle girl. Like, okay, so he becomes a driver. I'm like, okay, see, things are coming together, but she. Never did until, you know, the very end. Yeah, you didn't realize that that guy was doing these crimes and that was his motivation to do these crimes. I think what's great about it is it just reminds you that the world is small and people know people. Like, he's the guy who is doing the robberies is best friends with our main character's brother and they play pool together at the bar, at the pub. And it's like, oh, okay, so the world isn't that small. And, like, I love that, too. Like, the brother is, like... One one of the funny scenes to me, uh, just to highlight, was how he stole his brother's last condom. And then you get the brother, like, waking him up in the middle of the night, being like, did you just take... Did you take... You, you, you use my condom? And it's like, them laughing, and then the girl leaving, and him just weakly saying, Kylie! <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a moment where I'm just like, yep. Yep, yep, yep. I've seen that happen too. But um, no, and then it's like the world's smaller. And I like that the brother was like, he was concerned. He's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like he was coming on to the idea like, are you guys going to commit a crime? like, dude, your best friend does it. You don't know that shit? Or maybe, and who knows, you know. But uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the more thing of it. It was just one of those tricks in movies, right? Where it's like, they're just withholding information from you, the audience, until the very end. And if you are a keen-eyed viewer, you actually can pick it up quickly. Like, if you, Barta, go back and watch the movie, watch the first scene, you will see him wrapping up his shotgun that he just used to commit a crime in a blanket and then putting it underneath wherever he is to talk to her. Like, that's on screen. And you actually (laughs) hear the noise of the shell and all of that. Like, that's what he's doing. That was all news to me, so that's really interesting. And if you pay attention visually... When you have the quick shots of the robber guy loading up his shotgun, you see the couch that he's sitting on. It's the couch in his apartment the entire movie. So it's like little details like that. So I guess it's just one of those things where it's just like, if you're a keen-eyed viewer, you can kind of figure this out. And if you're not, don't worry. We'll tie it together for you at the end, Julio. Tie it at the end together. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Thank I guess, you. Uh, what's his uh, name? David. The name of the writer, director. Caesar. Caesar. David Caesar. Thank you, Caesar. Um, I guess uh, anything else you guys want to bring up, Bartek? Anything else from Idiot Box you want to touch upon? Um, I like the the little touch of um, when they were doing the cops were doing the interrogation on the gun dealer guy, um, and he, he the gun dealer guy you know was pulling out the tropes of the you know the police interrogation. Yeah, there meant to be two of you. Yeah. Yep. And then when when it failed and the two cops were meeting out outside, the female cop was asking, like, oh, did you use these tricks? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I did. They didn't work. I'm like, oh, damn. I, and I love her when it's like the policing fraternity. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> She's disappointed. Yeah, doesn't she also say, those usually work? Yeah, those are pretty good. Like, yeah. you've really honed that one down. And, and then she just concludes it with like, a, yeah, you might if I have a go. Yeah, you do mind if I have a go. And I love her go where it's like, okay, you know, you you fuck them or we fuck you, and then he's like, "Well, I hope you brought protection." <laughs> so cut to him then doing going outside. I love the detail too that he's got like bald spots on the top of his head just to make him look extra mangy looking. Like that actor doesn't have. That. I was trying to figure that out, like what the fuck was going on, because they show that aerial view, and I'm like, "Does that dude have just like huge lumps on his head?" What the yeah, hell's going it's on just here? Missing the, they on purpose. He did that. There's just like 
some people are just mangy looking like that. Like Bartek and I, we referenced earlier, there's a, there's a couple of suburbs here in Melbourne that is basically like, if you catch the train there, you'll just see freaks. Like, do you want to go to Frankston and see a bunch of drug addicts and freaks and weirdos and stuff like there's and he's just like one of those guys that looks exactly like he's from there like that kind of dingy and like him having bold spots on his head i'm like yeah okay sure why not it's a detail <laughs> it's just a little detail that's like oh that's interesting i don't see that in normal movies usually he'd just be why fine hmm? uh, just like a why not type. why not why not um yeah i love the police I love the police. I'd watch a whole movie of them, honestly. I love their dynamic. I love that she's like heartless and mean and she just doesn't give a fuck. She's like, we got to book them and all of that. Like, fuck them. They've committed. They're, now we're going to get them. And he's just like this sensitive old soul. He's like, please, can we just be nice and all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's, they're very fun. I, I did like the, them. They were they they were great. I love... Uh, I love the editing of the sequence, talking about like the fast editing, because I know Bartek in the past, you've had an issue with how quick scenes were, but I really thought it was super effective when they were putting the pins on the board of, of the map of where mm. the guys been getting that and like the hard cuts to the bowl filled with all the little pins. And you know, like I like the little character touch of he always specifically rifles through them until he gets one of the big fat juicy ones like one of the big like <laughs> bowl ones to put him in and like that's a nice again it's like the film is filled with little character details like that that it's not pronouncing itself it's not saying hey dude, look at this it's just like if you notice it you go that's it that's interesting okay cool it gives you a little bit of a a greater sense of what is basically, you could argue, just your standard uh, crime film about people who don't deserve a film about them, according to some people uh, out there. Uh, anything else from you guys that you uh, want to touch upon before we wrap this up? Um, I would just just to uh, kind of like settle on on my feelings on this movie. So I I ultimately liked it. It I had a I had a rough start with it, and then having just knowing what the full picture was it was easier to enjoy it once i started it again um i i understand what like I, I, like I think you can make a movie about any type of character so that's why i think i i kind of gravitate towards like you know plot heavy movies because yeah you can take these these characters characters like these and i uh i don't care if they're just you know if they are bored characters that are kind of static and they don't want to do anything as long as you put them in an interesting story and um that's what i was having trouble with at the beginning because i think it takes a while for them to get into an interesting story uh and then you know once you know what's happening and you watch everything that's happening again uh you know you can appreciate the way that things are shaping up from the very beginning uh but it is still something i mean you you mentioned uh uh two hands earlier and that from, from what i remember you know that was much much more enjoyable for me because that's more plot driven you know it gets into the the you know the good guys bad guys this is the plot this is the crime like all that stuff this is your handsome lead boy who will do good no matter what even though he's in over his head yeah like yeah i mean uh, he literally i mean he he was fine uh i remember more liking liking uh oh my rosebud brian what's a what's a bad guy uh brian brown brian brown yeah i think Mm -hmm. he's great yeah. He's a great actor. He's one of those Australian actors that it's like, yeah, he's always been great. And David Caesar will then go on to direct a movie with him and John Goodman, uh, just in case you want them there. After hey. this, so there you go. So yeah, um, yeah, I get what you're you're saying. Like, yeah, um, 
it's interesting to touch on. I think one of the things just to bitch about two hands for a second, because I did bitch about it when we did our episode is to me, like what I like about idiot box is it feels more genuine, like them being idiots actually is relevant to the story. So when they fuck up at the end and when they are constantly fucking up throughout the movie and they break the five rules, I, I know why, because that's those characters in two hands it would feel as if the script needed him to be an idiot because we need him to fuck up here so plots can happen. And also, again, Heath Ledger was a great actor. Love the guy. I couldn't buy him as that character. He's just too handsome and sweet. And I'm like, I just, you know, like, like it's like imagining this movie and it's like, could you imagine Heath Ledger as one of these guys? I just don't think I could buy it. Like, on a visual level, I'm like, no, that's just a handsome guy. I can't buy it. Like, was, oh, Sam Worthington, you know, he's, <laughs> you know, uh, fun fact, David Caesar would also direct with Sam Worthington. So there you go. Um, but like, you know, that's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, it's just one of those little jabs at uh, two hands for a second there. Well, what about you, Alex? Anything you want to touch upon before we wrap out? Well, I feel it's appropriate to bring up very bad things because of the connection that we have across our uh, podcasting, I guess, our, our canon together. Yeah, we've all seen uh, it except for Julio. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Fact. Well, here on the uh so you guys know I like those type of movies. Uh some of my favorite movies of the past decade. I brought up Spring Breakers earlier, mm. Pain and Gain. Ugh. Um I, I don't know if you guys know this, I really like this movie called Good Time. And I when I was watching the, <laughs> and yeah, it's one of my favorites. And when I was watching this, I was just kind of like I, I'm not here to allege that uh Idiot Box is this hidden gem and that in terms of like it walked so x could run but it's definitely always interesting to see these movies from 25 years ago where it's a similar premise of just like you had brought up earlier the the critique of these are losers why am i watching them i'm like well because there's a compelling story to be told there and you know it's similar here like good time obviously is way more stylized way more um settles itself more in the dramatic realm than comedy but at the same in that movie robert pattinson's just this idiot that tries he, to rob a bank and yeah and he's a cancer and he's a cancer i would describe robert pattinson's character as a cancer where he ruins everybody he interacts with that's correct. what i love the, while these guys aren't that that's the difference i think like they're good enough but robert pattinson it's kind of fun to watch him fuck up everybody that he interacts with innocently oh, sometimes yeah. but sometimes on purpose <laughs> It's yeah, like, definitely. Stop interacting with a teenage girl. I'm afraid of what you're going to do. <laughs> and so, like, there's things you can see through that. And and so, what I'm trying to say is, like, this type of movie is something I enjoy. the The idiots of the world that think they can pull off uh, great things and don't really know how to do it. Like we talked about, I'm not saying these guys are idiots per se, but it's just kind of this. You use the term slice of life, and it is just. You know, the they're unemployed, but you know what I mean by say like nine to five ham and cheese sandwich types that want something more from life. And it's like uh, they get off just as much by sitting around and bitching and they actually want to do something about it when they try to do something. It just, you know, at no turn does it go the right way. And so it's a it's definitely in the wheelhouse of things that I enjoy. Um, so it was a. It was interesting, I think, is the word I would use to describe it. I don't really know if I could give it like a a fair letter grade like I typically do without seeing it again because the first time it was just kind of like uh, ruminating and just kind of wishing it around in my mouth and kind of just experiencing what's happening here. But it was uh, definitely a, a, an interesting piece of business. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Bartek, any kind of concluding thoughts? Anything else from you? 
Um, yeah, even though this was my second time watching, you know, it'd been a couple of years and I really forgot a lot about it. And it was, yeah, really interesting to revisit because, again, even though I had seen it before, you had uh, rehyped it, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, always bringing it up, uh, comparing it to certain things. And I was just like, let's see, let's see exactly what is in this film. And yeah, the 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 description of it as a slice of life is pretty apt i think the a lot of it is character study is not really the right word for the film but it has like elements of that like really getting into who these characters are is Mm. the ultimate point of the film i remember when i was reading up um just some general points about it online i think it was just even on the wikipedia page for Mm. it um it had a paraphrasing or quoting the director saying something like Oh, uh, a lot of people seem to think that this is a crime story where the point is that these idiots fail or something, but I made the film more to be about people who are in a really uh, awful spot in life, you know, they're unemployed, they don't have any direction in life, trying to make the best of their situation. And I feel like that is really uh, apt about what this film is. It's... Even though, yeah, they are in this bad spot and the fact that they're supporting each other means that they're not going to, you know, break down, but they aren't really going to get out of their situation. It is them making the best of their situation. Yeah, um, I enjoy the film very much. It is one of my personal favourite Australian movies. Um, I wouldn't say it's at the top tier of, like, accessibility, of course, or universality, or even just general film, like... Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for instance, that's like an S-tier movie for Australia, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, that's that's great. And the Mad Max movies, you can throw them up there too. But for me, those are like, those are great, but these are the type of films I like to watch. I like seeing life that I am either a part of or I can go down a suburb or two and be a part of on the screen, uh, which I can't always get from other countries' media and I can't always get from our own. One of the complaints that uh, David Caesar had with Australian movies when he was making Idiot Box was he really was b- annoyed with the fact that Australian movies often would talk about doing things and then never actually do them. So what <laughs> happens if we made a movie a kind of about that? Because a lot of Australian movies older than this, it is a lot of talking about going to do something without actually doing it. And um, I think that highlights very well in the film where they actually do stuff. They actually go around locations and they actually do crime stuff. But also it's like them just talking about it a lot. Uh, Yeah, I just really appreciate the honesty in the movie. It's a comedy film. It's a crime film. But there's so much honesty and touches to the characters that you can see without having any cultural context. There's some that obviously you can because of that context. And... I just find it to be, um, I don't know, I find myself emotionally drawn to it outside of just laughing at it and enjoying performances. I've been in this spot in my life where I've been unemployed and stuck in a hard place and stuck in that cycle and having friendships that you would maybe describe as toxic, but at the same time, in the moment, they were good. And even now I can look back on some of the positives of it because that's the thing too, like in terms of movies, 
We like to make things very black and white like that. But in real life, that's not how it works. Sometimes you have friendships that can go for nearly your entire life. And if you describe that friendship or somebody else looked at it, they could be like, it's black and white. Like, no, it's bad. It's like, no, no, it's more complicated. Like, there's good things and bad things. That's how it works sometimes. And so I find that level of honesty to interpersonal relationships to be something that I find refreshing in a movie like this. And uh, yeah, I just enjoy it. Uh, I, I was just wanting to get you guys on the contrarians because you've had, you know, up and down relationships with Australian media. And I didn't think that Idiot Box would necessarily change it. But I thought maybe it could offer kind of a middle road experience. I mean, Priscilla is like one where it's like you guys can watch it and get so much out of it because it's kind of a universal experience. But I feel like this one's kind of just further in the water for you to kind of be like, there is a lot of Australianisms, there is a lot of things that you guys may not understand, but I also think there is some obvious universal truths and genre trappings that you guys would also understand and appreciate. So I am glad that we all seem to at least get something out of this. And I remember you too, Bartek, you were kind of blasé on it on that first watch. I remember you were very like, I the scenes are so quick. You were very much like quick scenes all the time. And you were like a little bit like, puzzled by that but really it's interesting with this viewing and even this episode everyone kept talking about like oh you know so many quick cuts and i didn't really notice it this time i was like oh was it really i thought you were joking at the beginning when you were talking quick and making a little quick joke that that was just you making fun of them that was just me being spontaneous yeah hell i forgot i forgot that i did that yeah there you go listen back people to hear bartek do okay well uh i guess that's about it uh since we got you two on about Australian stuff, is there any kind of questions you have about any of the Australian things here before we go? Anything else kind of lingering in your brain that you're like, what's that mean? What's that clarification? What's this about? Anything like that? Or are we good? Oh, man. For me, here. Well, I was about to say, you did a you did your nation proud because the a lot of the things you just, you know, uh, proactively explained to us. So I appreciate that. Mm. Oh, there you go. The, the yeah, bottle, yeah. the bottle store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, it's just a store where we sell beer and alcohol. That's it. That's all it exists for. Sometimes you get a drive-through bottle, where you just drive through. They come out, go, "What do you want?" And then they give it to you, and then you leave. Yeah, and that's we uh, called them dull bludges at one point. Yes, yes. Um, I, I guess it's good that we explained crook to you. I guess that was a real um, <laughs> throw off. I was watching it and I'm like, does this make sense to them? And I'm like, I think from context clues, yep. you can kind of figure it out. Like that's the thing too. It's like there are many American terms that I don't understand in or use in real world, but I, I watch. I go context clues tells me that this may roughly be the phrase. Yeah, what does freedom mean? <laughs> it's about a buck <laughs> five. Um, <laughs> so it's a type of fry. It's a type of ooh, bringing it back to oh, like a, like a chip, like a chip. Mm, yeah, yeah, like a chip. <laughs> freedom chips, freedom fries. In our country, we call fries chips. <laughs> as Ringo Starr said. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Unless there's anything else here, um, we have a recommendation. Julio, I asked to recommend a movie because we had him recommend one. Then we had Alex last time, and now we're back to Julio. Uh, Julio, what have you got up for Spin Polish to watch next time? So this was originally going to be the next movie we were going to do with you guys on our show. Like, that's the one I was going to bring up. Uh, but I didn't even get to bring it up to Alex uh, because then uh, you, Ryan, uh, well, actually not you, I guess the anonymous voice of Bartek on Twitter said that uh, you wanted to do the John Candy movie. Is that right? What's it called? Uh, nothing But Trouble, starring Dan Yeah, Aykroyd. Nothing But Trouble. So, so I guess we're doing that next time you guys come over. Starring, but... directed, and written by 
Dan Aykroyd, yes. His Sounds directorial like a... debut and only <laughs> directorial film. The, the, film like that infamously, the film that infamously no one said, hey, Dan, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> when Ryan tweeted uh, at you saying that I demanded, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot I said that as a joke. But yeah, okay. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing nothing but trouble with you guys, but what are you hitting our way? Okay, so then what you're going to do is uh, the, the movie that I was going to uh, tell you to be contrarian about. Now you're just going to be yourselves. Uh, it's a musical from uh, the times of yore. It's called uh, How to Succeed in Business uh, Without Really Trying. Okay. And it stars Robert Morris, who, who seems to me away. like the kind of talent mm-hmm. that uh, you guys would appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Mad Men. He was in Mad Men. Yeah, he was a Mad Men. He was a... Uh, He's the, the big boss in Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And uh, he this is obviously from when he was away, much younger. Unfortunately, so this will be a kind of good time to look back at some of his work, I guess, too. There you go. You can eulogize him. But yeah, he, he played the main role on Broadway when the show was on Broadway. And then he played the main role in the movie when they did the movie adaptation. And uh, uh, I don't know where it would be streaming over there. Like here, we have it on Amazon Prime and it's... It's a pretty easy watch. We have our ways to find things. Yeah, and if we struggle, <laughs> we go to the port town. Yeah, we we find our way. We find our way. Well, yeah, but yeah, I I look forward to seeing how how you guys uh yeah I, like or dislike. I have uh, a minor history with this. So what year is it from? It's like in the sixties. Ah, uh, sixties musical. Mm. Oh, your favorite, Ryan? <laughs> oh, my fucking favorite. I, well, no, I don't have any anti-sixties musical things. It's just like I have sixties as a decade as a film. Like in films, is I, I have a blind spot too. I don't have the like. There's a that's the era that I just like. I've not seen as many movies as. I would like. So this is one where we'll talk about it next time, Julio. Thank you or not. We'll see next time if we're <laughs> thanking him or, or punished. I mean, it's not War Machine, so it's a step up, I guess. I uh, like musicals. So, yeah. It might be very American, so I don't no, know. No, Beware. I, it's a musical. Ooh, so. a cultural recommendation. Ooh. Never seen an American <laughs> film. I've never seen one of those before. Maybe I'll finally learn what freedom is. It's about Bucko Five. <laughs> You're going to learn what capitalism is. That's, capitalism? That's really- <laughs> no. Okay, people, make sure to check out The Contrarians over at Where Can People Find You Guys? Uh, just search for the Contrarians on uh, on whatever podcatcher you're using. Uh, you can check our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and you can also find us uh, on Twitter at Contrarian Prime, on Facebook, facebook.com/slash Contrarian Prime, Instagram Contrarian Prime. You you get the idea. We got it. It's locked in, people. We're similar. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Spit and Polish presents. We have an email, don't we, Bartek? Where can people email us if they want to oh, yeah. send things our way? So our email is a Gmail. It is E-N-G. It is spitandpolished at gmail.com. And I'm not telling you what the password is. No, no, no. But uh, you can hit us up with your recommendations for movies. We'll add it to our list. We are posting stuff on our social medias. Same, we can be found on all of the podcast hosting sites, Spit and Polish Presents. If you have not already subscribed and followed us, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Jesus Christ, come on. Get to it already and rate and review us as well. Come on. Get a dog up ya. Come mm. on. <laughs> I think just to piss Ryan off, don't do any of that. Oh, one of the little details <laughs> I really loved about Ben Mendelsohn's character in this is he had a shirt that was the birth date and death date of Bon Scott from ACDC. And I'm like, yeah, that's a nice little touch. He has a shirt that just says Bon Scott and when he was born and when he died. That was the shirt he had. 
I uh, just I love the shirts. I would want to get a dog up your shirt. Just saying. That's just saying. And another little Australian touch to finish this off on that's real is them having their jackets or their flannelette shirts just tied around their waist. That's just one of those things I just look at and go, yep, oh yeah, that's yeah, how they I do noticed it. that. Yeah. That's one of those things that just makes me smile and go, you're doing our nation proud, Mendo. Get a dog up. Yeah. So uh, that's a wrap for me. I'm going to have to turn this, uh, this bloody idiot box off now, Bartek. 